0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Big Week in Gaming podcast, and what do you know, it's been a big week in gaming. I'm Intergot for episode 44 on Sunday, the 16th of May, 2021. As always, I'm joined by the official, P3-nominated and approved, Xbox Hall of Famer and number one challenger to the throne of the greatest Xbox RPG player in the world, Swinny. Hello. And the game-loving, grind-hating, pretend-to-quit-coffee-drinking, gamer-anti-gamer and slightly less interrupter-in-chief, Mike. Mike, are you there? Mike, where are you, man? Hello! (laughs) Okay, so for anyone that's tuning in, we had technical issues and we have balked the start of uh, the show. So the intro is gone. (laughs) It's dead. It's my fault. I do blame Mike.
1: (laughs) All those nuggets of of quality content that Mike delivered is lost to the ether.
0: I've always thought of myself as being very good under pressure, but obviously that's been proven incorrect today where Mike uh, had a very tight timeline and we did a very tight show. And then we realized maybe 20 minutes into the intro that we weren't recording it in one of our software. And then in the other one, which is the backup, listening to the audio recording, it was uh, botched. So such so, tweaking gaming. Yes, exactly. So Mike will appear on the show post intro. We are re-recording the intro and then we'll go into the main body of the show, which is still like the the bulk of the show. Uh so yeah, like we'll just call out that Mike interrupted me uh when I was giving his intro. <laughs> so I think uh I, th- I think I went back to the Interrupter in Chief uh and then he also had no games that he was really playing outside of Skyrim. And that was really his contribution for the intro, so you're not missing much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in this week's show, we'll be discussing what's going on with Ubisoft uh, and their sinking ship, Skullbones, A review of Assassin's Creed Valhalla's meaty, ri- rich Irish expansion, Wrath of the Druids. Uh, my first impressions of Mass Effect Legendary Edition and some hot takes. Uh, now that we know what I said <laughs> on reviewers. We- Maybe we should do the intro after the show every time. <laughs> Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And finally... Uh, Amongst many things in the show, uh, next game of some other year, 2011 nominee, The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim.
1: It's Uh, really weird. It's like we can see the future. I know. It's actually
0: very optimal to do the intro at the end. (laughs) Um, As always, if you want to follow us on social media, find us at Big Wig Pod. That is Big Wig Week in Gaming Pod podcast. (laughs) Um, You got there. Yeah, we're we're pretty much on everything there. Uh, no corrections, we're just perfect this uh, last week. In-
1: Was there any corrections from the show that's <laughs> coming soon? <laughs> I think I corrected you that the 14th of May is Friday yes, instead of Thursday. Yes. So- but <laughs> I will repeat that correction when I get to my wrath of the jury.
0: Yes. Oh, And also live, uh, shout out to Joe Jives, uh, one of our great listeners, provided the intro for last week. He asked... Did he get a mention on the show? Well, now you do. We didn't get a mention in the original show, but now you are getting the mention in the new intro for the show. <laughs> um, so no corrections. Uh, update. So Zwam <laughs> I didn't say this right the first time around. and I still didn't learn. Zwam Studio. Uh, maker- Zawm. Is that how you say it? Zawm. I don't know. Oh. It
1: looks like Zalm.
0: Sounds so confident the way you said it. Zawm Studio. Uh, they are the creators, the studio behind Disco Elysium. Actually, they aren't the studio, are they? Are they the publishers?
1: I don't know, but live update Here's a live from Joe Jives. Live update from Joe Jives. Um, no, uh, no. actually, I can't mention it, but we posted a, a certain person that bears resemblance to to uh, Mike, and yeah. I'm just saying, uh, no, it did not make it on the show, Joe Jives. Oh,
0: okay, that's what he was referring to. <laughs> no uh, one understands this no, except this... <laughs> Joe Jives. It's only All right, the... all right, let's scrub this. Let's do the third intro. <laughs> This is terrible. Uh, Okay, so Disco Elysium, I'm just quickly looking up. We don't usually do this. We're pretty good. Developed and published by ZA slash UM. There you go. That's what I'm going to start saying now. Uh, So they, as we have covered and many other people have covered, they had their game, uh, Disco Elysium, the Final Cut. Very highly regarded game, some game of the years of some outlets. Uh, refused classification in Australia. Now, when they first released Disco Elysium for PC on Steam, you classify it yourself in Australia. You don't need to go to the classification board because they were publishing it on console. They needed to go to the classification board and it was refused classification, which as it says, they didn't get a classification, which meant they couldn't sell it on console. It was still sold on Steam at the time, uh, for Disco Elysium, the final cut. Now, as part of the classification board they also have the review board which is a independent but inside of the Australian classification board and they asked for a review of the refuse for classification status and the review board made up of three people had looked at the materials looked at the situation and deemed the game made for adults and rated it R18 plus which i think is a very sensible logical outcome which is very shocking in the Australian context uh, so this is very good. So it paves the way for a console release of this game. And I'm actually really keen to pick this game up on uh, the Switch, Swinney. I don't know if you're going to pick it up on the Xbox.
1: Uh, eventually. I mean, it's uh, I think that release has is still in the pipeline. So I'm definitely looking forward to playing
0: it. Oh, um, yeah, that's right, because it's Switch and P- uh, PS4, right?
1: Yeah, I've still got a bunch of games of this kind of ilk that I still want to play through, like playing um, uh, Torment, planes of pneumonia, whatever, torment, um, the other similar kind of, you know, top-down classic CRPG or whatever. Mm. Um, but no, this, uh, by all accounts is an absolutely fantastic game.
0: Oh, and no, so I'm just cor- correcting us live. Uh, it, it, it's released on the PS4, PS5 Stadia, and it was already on PC, but PS4, PS5 and Stadia on the 30th of March this year, switch Xbox and series X and S is Q3 this year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't understand that. Okay. So yeah, like I said, I'm I'm keen to pick it up on the Switch. I'm very much like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. I only have time for tens. This is a ten out of ten <laughs> style game. What I've been told. Um. And yeah, it's like I, it's definitely on my radar. It's on my. What, what, what would you call it? It's not a backlog because it's not even out on the Switch, but it's like a forward backlog or something. <laughs>
1: Forward Backlog. Man, if we we didn't have an episode title already in the bag.
0: (laughs) The Forward Backlog. Uh, So that's that. Uh, In terms of community, so there's a community update. So we covered uh, the Vice's article on Cruel World. So it's a very art-based game. Came out of a game jam. Uh, You know, very cool game. The whole idea of the game was inspired a bit by blockchain that, you know, you can hamper other players by... Jumping on resources, save points in the game, making it harder for other people to save or not making it harder, depending on what people want to do uh, and the, uh, you know you can go back to our video where we covered it or the original article, very cool game, very interesting, and it was really awesome. We actually had one of the devs from the game reach out to us, and I think you'd frame it as criticize us for not playing the game, <laughs> um, but they were kindly enough to give us uh, three codes for the game and. Yes. You you and I as very diligent people proceeded to play it and of course Mike the missing man in the middle the interrupter <laughs> it's very quiet on the show at the moment
1: Mike Mike you there
0: it? <laughs> sweetie seriously how different does the show feel <laughs> without Mike I always feel like on edge like he's about to jump in
1: It's like oh my god I can finish my sentences
0: It's like wait someone's listening to what I'm saying and not just waiting to to say something when I stop talking Anyway, um, yeah, so I, we both played this. I thought it was uh, really cool, really, really interesting. And of course, being the prick that I am, I proceeded to uh, add my name to the register and make it permanent.
1: <laughs> While I was uh, for the better of of the community, and did not make myself did. a permanent owner of any of the terminals. And then, when
0: you died, what happened?
1: I went back to the beginning <laughs> of the game. <laughs> Because I didn't realize you need to type save in the terminal. So.
0: Whereas I can save and I can go back at any time I want <laughs> and go back to the checkpoint that I was at. Uh, so, yeah, the game's still alive. Yeah, I, I had a bit of back and forth with the dev. Um, you know, they're doing a whole retrospective themselves on on the game. And, you know, they, they expected it to die. It's a, it's a lot more brutal now. Like, I think people are after the articles and things like that. Have been dicks like me and added their names to the registers and like made it harder to get through the game. Uh, but very very cool game. I love art games. I love these kind of stuff. And I feel like you know I was listening to a interview that Jonathan Blow did with but uh, uh, Ted Price who runs Insomniac Games. There's a very cool podcast that Ted Price runs. And you know like you have opinions on Jonathan Blow, right? The maker of *Braid* and *The Witness*. Winnie.
1: I have opinions, as in... (laughs) I think he's an amazing creator.
0: Yeah, but he's very divisive, right? Like, he puts a lot of people off.
1: He does, but I mean, I... Also, there's a lot of people... Majority gamers probably have no idea who he is and just go, Oh, Brave was cool. Fair point.
0: I think he's... I love people like this. Like, you know, the Phil Fishers of the world. Anyone like that. Anyone with, like... Just... Who's different, to be honest? Who... You know, he's on. So Ted Price runs Insomniac Games. They make triple A, you know, real triple A games, yeah? Spider Man, things like that, Ratchet and Clank's coming up. And it's. I would love you if you actually listen to this podcast, Sweeney. He, He's almost like literally insulting him on the podcast. <laughs> like going, you know, triple A games, they just copy things from indie games and. You know that's okay. That's okay. That's really good. You know, but it's just like not very inspiring. And there's a whole bunch of points where Ted Price, who seems like the nicest guy, he's very open, very nice. He's like, Oh, I've got to give a counterpoint to this. And <laughs> he's like, it's like a more most awkward episode he's ever had on the show. Um, but yeah, like just going back to Jonathan Blow, like, you know, he, I do think he makes a good point that games as a medium can be so much more expressive than they actually are. And we still find ourselves trying to go into the same models. Whereas because they're so interactive and networked, like there's so many things you could do with it. And it just feels like it's a bit of a shame that we don't try to do more.
1: Definitely. And uh, another live update. That's it. Joe Jives is no longer the number one fan of our show because he hasn't even subscribed to us on YouTube. <laughs> That's awesome. That's it. He's barred. He's barred. He's barred. He's barred. He's barred. He's barred no more life.
0: mentions. <laughs> Uh, and then in terms of what we've been playing, um, so I have finished Dark Souls. Woohoo! Finished Dark Souls. So, I played the game kind of half blind, half not blind, some walkthrough, some not, depending on if I was getting stuck or... Like, you know, the reality is I don't have that much time to play games and, you know, I'm not that great at games, so I sort of felt like, oh, okay, this is going to take me a hundred hours to get through, given how dumb I am, so... I better get some pointers of what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And there's a lot of stuff in the game that's very like, they just don't tell you. And there's parts of the game I played blind and I'm like, like what the hell's going on here or just structures and stuff like that. Um, yeah. We'll cover it in two weeks time where we cover our final game of some other year for 2011. Uh, it's one of the nominees, obviously Dark Souls. Uh, so we'll go more in depth in that retrospective there, but the game's amazing. Rolled credits did the standard uh, ending linking the bonfires and then like the thing that, you know, I couldn't believe, because I was like just letting the credits run because I was just like, oh my God, I've climbed this mountain, that the game just starts again straight away, like seamlessly. (laughs) And like literally I was just like, okay, I'm just going to explore the next beer. I'll just get up to the bonfire and I'll save there and then I'll like end it and put the game away. I'm like, oh, I wonder how I'll go against the Asylum Demon so mm-hmm. go in there, like straight away, you know what I mean? Like didn't run away from the Asylum Demon, smashed him. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. I'll just get through a little bit further and then I'll go all the way up to ringing the first bell.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, I've said it before, it's all about confidence in this game. Once you, you know, obviously learning the areas and the enemy placements and everything is a huge part, but when mm. you feel confident you, and you're not just like tiptoeing around that game, you you can breeze through it. Um, And that's what, you know, that game at that point, the game is a tough game, but once you kind of got that confidence, it's like, it just feels natural to me, that game.
0: Yeah. And like, you know, I've got to be mindful. I don't want to repeat myself when we do the retrospective in two weeks time, but the game is a hard game. I think there's a lot of people who will just not be able to beat the game. So Mm. you, you can't say it's not hard. I'll give that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree.
0: But I would say it's not like NES hard. Like NES hmm. hard, and you know when I'm saying NES hard, you know, the Ninja Gaiden, stuff like that, you know. Silver Surfer. Yes, well, but that's like, that's almost like next level NES hard. That's, mm-hmm. that's, but you know, like Dungeons and Dragons. It's not Dungeons and Dragons. I'm just, Ghouls and Ghosts, sorry. Yeah. Um. You know, those kind of games where they're like, they are beatable, but you have to be so dedicated with your timing and exact. You know, it'd be almost like Dark Souls with only a few bonfires level difficulty, I think. Um, Then it would be pretty much the equivalent. I think Dark Souls is beatable with a lot of dedication and, you know, sure, there'd still be people who can't beat it, but it's not anywhere near NES hard. But one thing I will say is, you know how I wasn't really playing games at this period of time when this game came out? This game to me is the exact kind of game I wanted to play. Right? I said that. I know exact you did. I know you did. I know you did. All right, I'm acknowledging it. All right, <laughs> ten years later, you're right. It's when he was right. Um, you know, I was always whinging, and I think it's fair to be honest. That games at that time were just too easy. You could never die. It was there was no consequences. You just get through them. And this game is all about trade offs. You know, like if you do something, well, there's going to be a downside to it. You light a bonfire and you 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 rest there. Okay, all the enemies are back. Like, there are consequences to your actions.
1: I've uh, I've got one response to that, and it's uh, one of our favourite sayings off the podcast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's called Sift.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: Save it for the podcast, specifically in two weeks when we're doing <laughs> well, the I was, full I was, breakdown. I, know,
0: I was just saying then that I've got to be careful of how much I say. So uh, I on. just
1: wanted to say Sift on the actual
0: show. There, so. <laughs> uh, so then I rung the first bell and I'm like, okay, I've got to stop playing this game because I don't have much time. And, you know, when I say I don't have much time, I've got kids and full-time jobs, so I need to have a healthy gaming pastime. But uh, I put the disc away and put in Uncharted, which is one of my Dirty Dozen games, part of my gaming resolutions. Very cool game. I'm only up to like the second chapter or whatever in Drake's Fortune, Uncharted 1. Uh, but I can understand where people are coming from in that game. That's, that's almost the opposite, but at the same level of quality as Dark Souls. Like, it doesn't feel hard at all. You just kind of get through it, and it's a lot of fun, and doesn't feel like too many consequences. Great story. Doesn't try to be cryptic or anything like that, but it's just like an action movie, you know, after you've watched a really, I don't know, very deep art movie or something like that. Um, as always, playing Monster Hunter Rise, but needing to put it down to play, like, Okami and other games. Final Fantasy Seven. I need to play on the Switch. Uh, as part of the Dirty Dozen. It kind of feels weird because I honestly think I'd just be playing Monster Hunter Rise this whole time if I felt like I didn't <laughs> I didn't have obligations to play games. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing for me is I'm reading Press Reset, uh, three or four chapters in so far, so about halfway through the book. Um, very great book, so well written, absolutely a page-turner. Like, I am, like, reading it and going, oh, I want to see what the... You know, I'm, like up to this part in the book, I don't want to spoil it and we will cover it in next week's show, but I'm like, I want to see what game they're talking about. Like Stryer, Jason who wrote the book. He's got a great writing style. Um, Just, you know, he draws you in and you're like, Oh, I want to know like what their game, what, what happens with the games that, you know, are coming off the back of big studios falling or small studios falling over, which is the kind of the whole theme of the book. Like what's next after a studio fails. Um, yeah, great book, you know, I haven't finished it, but you know, my big question will be, is it as good as, um, you know, uh, Blood, Sweat and Pixels, which was his first book that he wrote. Um, probably not so far from what I've read, but you know, I'll save it for the full review next week. Uh, Swinney, what have you been playing?
1: Yeah. So I, uh, I picked up Cyberpunk finally. Oy,
0: um, and you broke so... the promise. You said you were going to wait, uh, until the next gen release.
1: I wasn't sure, so <laughs> yeah. there was a few things. First of all, it's like, okay, after the patch, done decent patches, and after it sounded like the first big major patch they did kind of put it in a place where I'm happy to play it. Um, So I've, I picked it up for Xbox, and it look, r- looks and runs great on my Series X, so I'm happy with that. But I've literally only just done like the origin story, the corporate uh, intergot style uh, story. <laughs> we started out a big week. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, just I'm pumped to jump into it properly uh, this week because I've been laser focused on two other games. So the first of those is Assassin's Creed Valhalla Wrath of the Druids uh, Mm. DLC, which I am reviewing later in the show. Uh, So so you're reviewing
0: it. So that must mean you've played a few hours of it, like some other people. Yes,
1: I've played quite a few hours of that game, (laughs) which I'll mention later. And uh, the other game is the one I talked about a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Haven the sci-fi romance RPG from the French studio, The Game Bakers. Uh, they also published it. Uh, so yeah, finished that game. Took me about 20, 25 hours. Really, really enjoyed it. Tells a really, really nice personal story about uh, two characters, lovers, you and K, as they escape a world where they get pa- uh, paired up involuntarily by something called the Matchmaker, kind of like a Black Mirror episode. Um, and it's a really, really, honestly, realistic depiction of a relationship like the ups and the downs Mm. but uh lots of ups like these these people are truly in love and they have sex all the bloody time it's like i don't know the elder scrolls seven horn bag or something like that (laughs) but uh it's yeah sometimes it feels like you're a bit like when you're listening to like all, all their dialogue when they're lying there in bed and stuff like that like some of it's very like you feel like you shouldn't be listening in on this stuff mm. but it's a lot of play for laughs it's really really good um the combat when i first talked about it in the show i hadn't actually got to any combat yet so i was only like 20 minutes 30 minutes in or something but um the combats you enter an encounter and it's kind of like a manually charged atv system so the left side of the controller is one character the right side is the other and let's say to do one attack you hold the left stick left and the other stick right, and then you charge them up and release the moves. And if you do the same style of move with both characters at the same time, they'll do duo attacks and mm. charge them up. It's pretty fun. Drags on a little bit, but you can auto-battle weaker enemies, which is pretty cool. Uh, but probably my favourite thing about the game is the amazing soundtrack by the French electronic artist, Danger. So that's, uh, yeah, definitely check that soundtrack out even if you don't want to play the game. I really recommend it on YouTube or Spotify. So it's the game is Haven.
0: I have to say, because you've sent a few things in our, like, you know, offline chat, and I was like, wow, this stuff, this is so explicit, this game. I couldn't believe, like, (laughs) what they were saying in the game. I'm like, this is unbelievable.
1: It's actually pretty funny. You find a, um, you you go into these little, like, it's like a run, it's like this planet got settled and then has been abandoned, and you find out why, but... You so you go into these huts, these futuristic huts, and you find items, you bring them back, and then they've got cutscenes about these items. Mm. And It's really, really funny, but they find uh, like what seems to be like a German animated, like a cartoon, Kama Sutra. Yeah. And so, there's funny cutscenes where they're like looking at like they're browsing the Kama Sutra, and they're like, oh, that one doesn't look right, <laughs> stuff like that. It's actually pretty funny, yeah, uh, but crazy. yeah, the game, the game, yeah, like I said, like, man, like I swear. They probably had sex like 30 times in the different cut scenes in that game. It's pretty wild. It's but. crazy.
0: And like what you showed me, I was like, I felt uncomfortable. I'm like, Jesus, this is like <laughs> someone's bedroom. Com- like you got to understand, like if you're watching a movie and it's like sex in a movie and then like intimate scenes and then scenes after intimacy, it's so fake compared to like real life. Yeah. And in this game, it was so much more like real life, like practical oh. matters. You know what I'm saying? 100% yeah.
1: and it's kind of that's why I say the whole thing you feel like it's stuff you shouldn't be hearing because they're this couple and it's it's like as if you were like standing in the corner yeah. of a room while a couple was talking after <laughs> having sex you know, like really Mike loves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh uh, nice yeah uh, no pretty much that's it I uh, because I spent a lot of time playing through that Assassin's Creed DLC. Uh, I'm
0: going to be about. interested to see where you're up to in that. All right, well, let's get into our first major story, our headliner, which is uh, around Ubisoft and the Skull and Bones game, and then also just how Ubisoft's going. So I was just wondering, Swinny, as the mega Ubisoft fan among us, did you want to cover this?
1: <laughs> I'm happy to cover it, but I wouldn't call myself a mega Ubisoft fan. Oh, a mega apart from, from playing every fan. single
0: Assassin's Creed game, including mobile games. But
1: that's the like, and you've played other uh,
0: Ubisoft games. Come on,
1: I don't, I don't, not into many of their other franchises. Right, so you
0: are misrepresenting me. I like never you. misrepresent you.
1: <laughs> yeah, so basically, with Skull and Bones. So as part of their latest earnings call, Ubisoft confirmed that uh, the game, which is like a shared world pirate game that got announced in at E3 2017, um, so nearly four years ago, is now expected to release in the 2022 to 2023 financial year. And based on the history of this game, I honestly wouldn't expect it till 2023. Um, so the last actual gameplay was seen of this game is back in June 2018, and it was a pretty big chunk. They gave us like a 25-minute look at it, and it's definitely, as we'd expect when they first announced it four years ago, definitely built on the ship combat assassin's Creed series but then expanded way way more um to be essentially like a live service game with a big focus on co-op so one thing that i've always been interested in and i'm not certainly the only person to think about this is um wave physics and how that mm. would work in like a shared world game um because we've seen that games like crackdown uh, three their multiplayer was like cloud-based so that meant that like the debris and destruction was you know calculated on the on you know by the cloud so that means that everyone could see the same stuff but i i wonder that's you know i don't think this is the reason why this game's been delayed so long but i how do you think they're going to handle the actual like wave part of it for different people do you reckon it'll be cloud based interesting thought cuz i mean that's pretty significant because it's like it completely changes how your ship Is controlling, but Is that what
0: they're saying that the waves are kind of universal?
1: Well, I don't know. That's what I was wondering. If anyone, mm. if if you guys hadn't heard that, what you, what, how you think you'd actually tackle that? Because yeah, it'd That's be a... tricky.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it, it's really interesting because they'd have to be in sync, wouldn't they? Because the the height and the physical location of the ship would be different based on the waves. You'd think exactly. So yeah, it's really fascinating.
1: Didn't even think of that. Anyway, this game is, yeah, it's. At this point, I'm surprised that it's still a thing, but it seems like they're still. They've obviously sunk a lot of money into this already, so for them to just cancel it outright is probably not going to make sense. But I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's it's this game. Like Ubisoft, generally, unless the stuff we don't hear about, they're pretty solid mm. with
0: actually bringing their games out. They're like one of the most reliable studios. Like, if you're a an investor and you wanted to invest. They're probably one of the studios that do make a lot of sense because they're pretty they're pretty stable, right? Like, there's not a lot of mm. ups and downs. They always seem to release at least a couple of AAA games per year, if not three. You know, and they seem to get you know decent reviews. Not like it's not like Last of Us territory stuff, but you know, they're pretty pretty mm. reliable. I mean, is this this is the first game from the studio, right? Like the actual internal studio.
1: So I think it's it's from the Singapore mm. studio. Um, I'm not sure. It wouldn't surprise me if that studio has... Because uh, a lot of what happens in Assassin's Creed games, they'll get, sometimes get a whole bunch of studios to do smaller pieces of the games. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they've done support work on other titles, but this may be the first one they're heading up. Yeah, that's
0: what I mean, yeah. Like, they definitely yeah. would have done support work. Um, yeah, it's hard to see, because I'm just looking at the Wikipedia... It doesn't list them as a co developer, but it does seem for a long time. Like, if you look at it, it's like Odyssey, Origin, Syndicate, Rogue, Unity. They weren't the maker of those games. So, yeah, and that's a long period of time. So it's pretty tough jumping from that to, you know, your own full game, as you've seen through things like, you know, Days Gone and other games where they've had free reign on a new IP.
1: Yeah, and this leads into the next, uh, I guess, headline from Ubisoft. Um, Honestly, at this point, I'm surprised that this game isn't going to be free-to-play. Because I always thought that they could go with that model if they're going for live service, but as part of what you know, they kind of announced this week, so what they're actually doing, they're, Ubisoft are pivoting to a blend of AAA and free-to-play releases for their franchises going forward. So the news comes after last week's announcement of the Division Heartland. So that's a new free-to-play release uh, in you know the Division series, which is quite quietly actually quite popular. The Division, you know, I know it it is a AAA release, but you don't hear people talking about it all the time. But generally sells really well, has decent player bases, especially number two. um, From the sounds of it, and they cited call of duty as an example of the kind of model they're going with Mm. so they have their main (laughs) call of duty releases which are you know full priced retail games complemented by a free-to-play um you know addition to the series which is warzone yep so i think that's look if you're going to approach if you want to play in the free-to-play space even more I think that's a way to do it when you're one of these big AAA publishers is to kind of, you know, use the strength of your franchises to create these, I wouldn't say smaller, but these side experiences that are free to play.
0: Yeah, and apart from <clears throat> Nintendo, you almost need to park Nintendo in these kind of conversations. But this, you know, Call of Duty, are definitely doing it, but, you know, everyone's moving in this direction. Like you see it with, um, with Halo Infinite, right? Like they're, they're talking about even on PC, you'll be able to just, install that the multiplayer component and play it like it's it's pretty bonkers stuff like and it makes sense right because there's a lot of kids out there there's a lot of people and you know i hear more and more just people who have traditionally bought a lot of games are just going oh you know yeah just install it it's free might as well try it and then they just get hooked in the ecosystem right and if their friends are there and then they get battle passes and all this kind of stuff and all this stuff really makes a lot of sense i think you know, and just to touch on what you said, Swinney, and I don't think it's wrong, but it's it's one of those, you know, how is Ubisoft going to go about this? And I see a lot of people having varying views in the industry, and even some people getting into a few fights about it. But you know, is this uh, their AAA offerings are pretty much going to say that as they are right now, and they're increasing and amplifying the free to play elements of. It's you know, an additive kind of perspective, mm. or is this going to take away from their AAA output over time?
1: So, I'm just trying to understand what you said. <laughs> I said wrong there out of that because we hadn't got to the point yet that Ubisoft, after this news came out, Ubisoft. And obviously it's PR and a lot of PR is half bullshit, but <laughs> yeah. that they basically clarified doesn't mean they're reducing their AAA output. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So their statement was we are excited to be investing more in free-to-play experiences. However, we want to clarify that this does not mean reducing our AAA offering. Our aim is to continue to deliver premium experiences to players such as Far Cry Six, Rainbow Six Quarantine, Rise Republic, and Skull and Bones, to name a few, while expanding our free-to-play portfolio. That, and that's why I mentioned Skull and Bones before, because while it's not an established franchise, it's had enough interest over the years that, to me, it's strange that they wouldn't actually make that a free-to-play. It's such they've a... Clarified, they've <clears throat> clarified here that, you know, that is a premium experience.
2: Yeah, they did bucket into into the premium experience bit, but it feels like such a perfect title for free-to-play almost. I'd hate to see it as that, but when you think about all the uh, cosmetics that you can apply to your ship, um, the, the things you can, the flags the flag. you can put up, the <laughs> the sails, all, all that kind of stuff, the different types of sails, the different bells and whistles you can put on your Ooh. ship, the ramming devices and all sorts of stuff—I don't know what they're called—you um, could see how they could they could make it a free-to-play title, but at the same time, I can see how it's just it'll, it'll become a triple A title. And then they would put all those elements, and you'd have to have some sort of in-game currency to purchase all that stuff. So, eh, yeah, either way. have never done that before.
1: Yeah, exactly. They they've never done that before. Franchises. So,
0: <laughs> either way would work, but yeah. You know, one thing, though, I don't think this game necessarily appeals to kids as much as like the Fortnite's of the world. Hmm. And I think FIFA has demonstrated that you can effectively make a free-to-play game and then charge you know, 60 US dollars, probably 70 US dollars next year for it. And then have every single other element of a free to play game in it and make even more money. And I've, I've, you know, Ubisoft, I think they're more than happy to do that. And I think that's probably what their their calculus is that they view it as, no, they could still make money off this. And you know what as well? I think Ubisoft has so many runs on the board that charging $60 for this game, or maybe they'll charge 40. A lot of people would just buy it because it's Ubisoft and they'll probably break even because of that. But if it's a flop, at least they've got that some of that money back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas if they go free to play and people try it and they go, "This game sucks," it's like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> they've just dusted all their money on this new studio. Well, not new studio, but you know, throwing a new IP and, for the studio. So.
1: And look, they could if if the idea of this game being live service, they could
0: always two years down the line transition it to free to play anyway mm. but just quickly sweeney like do you think that this is going to hurt their AAA output i mean they're saying it won't but that doesn't mean jack
1: i don't think it will okay interesting
0: no. i think it will yeah. i think it will i think they haven't done much in this kind of space as much as they could and other major publishers are doing and i think inevitably that just will soak up resources because it makes more money
1: um, yeah but they expand like anything oh yeah just look at the amount of studios they've got so all they need yeah. to do is just expand more to be able to cover that yeah
0: i know but like that's just not how money works right if you, money seeks what's the most profitable so you know even even with that they'll expand to make more free to play rather than AAA. in my view but we'll, we'll see how it plays out all right let's jump into the next topic so sony's first party uh game pipeline so it was an interview and you know sony's had a pretty rough you know, let's, what is it, month or so? Um, You know, a lot of announcements that didn't land well with gamers and then obviously a lot of positive announcements from Xbox. And, you know, it it did seem like they needed to get on the front foot, especially with IPs because, you know, games have always where Sony's actually dominated. So you actually had uh, the head of PlayStation Studios, Herman Holst, um, who has been elevated from the regular studios to head up PlayStation Studios. And, you know, in this article in why it is quite interesting, he actually called out there's 25 first-party titles. That's and a lot. First-party for Sony is a bit weird because I think some people would actually classify some of these games as second-party. Mm. But you know, do you know what I mean, Sweeney? Because, like, there's some of the games, like, that Nintendo definitely calls second-party. It's not a Nintendo game, but they publish it. But anyway, i mm. will park that. Um, but 25 first-party games and then half of them being new IPs as well. So yeah. I think, Sweeney, you wanted to, to do some speculation on what the <laughs> games could be.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's two things here. So first of all, we've got our known titles and a couple of rumoured ones. Um, so it's about thinking about what first-party titles of known IPs do we think they have in development or let's say the next three years that they could be planning on, on getting out there and maybe some gaps in the kind of I guess their offerings that they may be working on, which is the new IP side of things. Um, so I guess let's clarify what we know is out there, and if I've missed one, feel free to let mm. me know. But from a first party standpoint, from what I could find, we've got Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, which is about to come out. Um, but you know that that would probably be counted as part of those twenty five. We've got Horizon Forbidden West, we've got Gran Turismo Seven. And we've got the God of War sequel, which is you know generally at this moment subtitled like Ragnarok, hmm. and the rumour titles, and there's maybe more here that we've you know heard from reports that are in development, but we have no idea how far away. One is the Last of Us remake, um, another is a new IP from Sony Bend, the Days Gone studio. Was
0: there any others that you guys remember that may be rumoured? No, actually. And it's no kind of rumors, a no. funny one. But because... I want to
2: start some rumours.
0: <laughs> it's a funny one because, yeah, there's... I, and I think this is why they've come forward and put some stuff out there because, yeah, there isn't a lot necessarily on the horizon that you know about. I actually went through all their studios and said, okay, this is what I think they're making. Huh? Okay. So, cool. Do you want well, me to reel through first? it or what do you want to do?
1: No, you go, you yeah, go, right. You, all right. You've done the most research. I'll do quick. On. I'll
0: do it quick. But this, like, when I do the maths, this does this is more than half. So I think it works out to be like sixteen or seventeen or something like that. So we know it's wrong because they said half of them are new IP, right? Uh, okay. So London studio. So they do SingStar. I think they could do a PSVR two SingStar game. There was some patents that Sony had where it had interaction with people on the couch with those who are in the virtual world in VR. So I think that makes sense and it'd be funny with SingStar. That's a good party game. Uh, a Sobi team, so that's formerly kind of like Japan Studio. Sobi was in Japan Studio, but they're kind of Japan Studio now. Uh, I think they'll be doing like a fully fledged AstroBot VR game for PSVR two. That's a perfect fit. AstroBot's got a lot more like knowledge ability with people on PlayStation now, and I, I could imagine they'll do like a massive, like really really deep, long 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 game uh, in that space. Insomniac. Uh, we kind of already know they're working on Spider-Man 2. That's pretty clear. Uh, they've demonstrated that they're able to, you know, work on multiple IPs at the same time. So I think they might reboot Resistance and do like a follow-up in Resistance. Uh, I think Insomniac is probably be almost the, you know, most likely team to actually do a new IP. So I'd probably put a question on that one. Gorilla, we already know Horizon Forbidden West uh polyphony that's gran turismo 7 naughty dog i mean there's lots of rumors around a new uncharted game a new last of us game uh media molecule so they've done dreams dreams it was pretty big flop but it, it's got a quite interesting architecture so i do wonder if they'll try to reboot dreams on pc and ps5 and then include ps4 i think you need to get uh-huh. it on PS, pc to be honest Surely the idea is to
1: do they support that dreams with, con, with new updates or anything? Do we, do we know if
0: they actually they are? Yeah, they, the they're still supporting support it. That.
1: Yeah, um, but, but that's what I'm wondering are they continuing to support that rather than work on a brand new idea?
0: Oh, I just wonder if it's a bit like I guess sorry, I didn't frame it right because I'm trying to rush through it, but I, I, I wonder if it's like a no man's sky. Where it's still No Man's mm. Sky, but it's, is it really? It's kind of New Man, No Man's Sky 2, Let's be real. I've quite a lot. Yeah. But it's still the same title. So my argument would be, it's still Dreams, but they're really going to do something different with it. So mm. they'll use the bones of it, and then I think you know if they're smart, launch it on PC. I don't think there's any downside to do that. And maybe if you do something smart, we'd like launch it on PC, but you can publish games in a little pocket of the store on PS PS5 only. So get a carrot back into the PS5 and PS infrastructure and ecosystem. Uh, PlayStation Malaysia. I actually went through some of the stuff they did. And, you know, they're one of those studios a bit like uh, Ubisoft Singapore where they're probably ready to do a new game. I wonder if they'll do Twisted Metal. I feel like Twisted Ooh. Metal, given that there's a movie that's cool. in production, that out, yeah. makes sense that a game would be in production. Mm-hmm. Summa Digital, maybe going back to their roots, uh, Little Big Planet 4. Uh, that's a huge franchise that kind of needs to be revitalized a bit. Housemark wouldn't be shocked if they did something like Returnal 2. Seems like doesn't make any sense given what the game is, but Sony does love sequels. Sucker Punch. I can't see how they're not going to do like Ghost of Tsushima 2. Like that game was so massive and hit so hard. Uh they're another studio that could actually do multiple IPs potentially. So, you know, they they're the ones who uh, you know, ran through Infamous. So, you know, is that Infamous 3 maybe potentially? Santa Monica, we yeah, already know. Too, yeah. God of War 2. Santa Monica. I mean, it's the studio that should be able to make multiple IPs, but they don't seem to be doing that recently. So I've, I've just left it as God of War Two. I do wonder. Now this is like going into the you know crazy territory. Like I feel like Bloodborne Two is kind of inevitable. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that gets made. I had that on my list as well. I don't think Miyazaki is going to be involved in it. Um, but I, I think they'll do uh, Bloodborne Two, and then at the same time, maybe it'll be a. Uh, If you get Bloodborne 2, you can get a 60 FPS version of Bloodborne with it. Like Sony is a bit of a dick with those kind of things. So I could totally see that happening. And that's something that people desperately want. And then, yeah, like the other studio, San Diego Studio, they've been doing the show. Supposedly, they're doing another IP. So that could be a new IP. Ben Studio, we already kind of know they're doing a new IP. But it does make you wonder about Siphon Filter when that's going to come back. Quantic Dream, they always do weird games. I
1: was about to ask, what's David Cage up but at to? This, but at this point, like, we're outside of the first-party space. When
0: we're but they, no, they classify these 30. as first-party games, though, Sweeney. That's why I'm saying it's weird. Mm. They do. They actually call these, like, these second games. parties. Well, uh, w- I've always known parties. them as traditionally second-party games, but I was going through their list and some of their what they're saying as PlayStation Studio games, and mm. to me, they're second-party games, but they call them PlayStation Studio games. So I don't know how you want mm. to classify that, Sweeney.
1: Look, I I mean we have to kind of if we Like is Concrete Genie if, a first party game or
0: a second party game? So
1: if they if if we're talking about the words of the head of PlayStation Studios, then we need to play in whatever words they use. Yes. Yeah.
0: So like uh, the best example is uh Pixelopus, which is Concrete Genie, that is not owned by PlayStation Studios, right? But they call Concrete Genie a PlayStation Studios game, like effectively a first party game. So it's kind of weird to me. It's like a contract, you know? And this is an exclusive mm. game to PlayStation, but, yeah, normally that'd be a second-party game, but they... Uh, the Quantic Dream, to me, is different
1: because they release stuff on PC as well, outside of the Sony space. Sure,
0: sure. But, I mean, like, a lot of these games are going to PC now as well, right? Like Horizon mm. and stuff like that, so...
1: But they're published by Sony, yeah. like, whereas Quantic Dream, like, those games aren't published by Sony on Steam.
0: And Sure, so. sure. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because then, uh, you know, a counterpoint to what I'm saying myself um, with uh uh, oh shoot i forgot the name of it the hideo kojima game oh death Death Stranding that definitely wasn't called a first party game but it was funded by sony and published by sony as well like on playstation not on pc so i don't know they seem really weird with the titles it's just Concrete genie they definitely called that a first party game and it's not um according to definition so yeah that's my sort of run through of like looking i think it. you've
1: probably covered everything Pretty good run you through, yeah. think of, i mean yeah, you Yasta. covered the stuff i had um mentioned as the easy wins like you go to tsushima sequel yastro mm. vr uh, sequel and stuff like that yeah um i i wonder do you think that that now sony has a, a obviously a lot of great support from third parties mm. in in a lot of this space but when I look at their offerings, there's definitely, to me, um, gaps. Like, they generally don't have a big RPG franchise, right?
0: Well, well they have Do you, Final Fantasy, right?
1: No, I was about to say, like, they are, so they're very in empowered Dragon, by a lot Dragon of third Quest. party.
0: Oh, you mean no, first party, sorry, man. Yes, oh, okay. first party.
1: So they're empowered by a lot of third parties yeah. in that space. Um, but to me, it is a big gap, and I wonder at some point if they they've had a very good relationship or very good support by Level Five in the past, um, like Nino Cooney and a lot of their games as well. I wonder at some point if they will, you know, potentially like do like a you know the situation like you did with House Mark and stuff like that, but maybe a Level Five RPG in that space because to me, there's just it's kind of lacking from a first party perspective on that, but also the fact. And this could be a red herring, but the fact that they've now purchased Evo, mm. and I would say they've they've got great fighting game support from third parties. Um, but I wonder, I don't know if they'll make a push like they did for Street Fighter V for Street Fighter VI again. But do you think that at some point it makes sense to have a first another first party fighting game in there? arsenal
0: so my perspective on sony it's very different from microsoft sony number one doesn't have a massive amount of capital as a company right like they used to have lots of different components to their business firing but playstation now is the bulk of their profitability and i just look at it and i go you know they already got really great relationships there are like you have to acknowledge that there are just cultural things about japan business like the fact that you know they always have better deals with Square and Capcom and all these Japanese publishers and studios that Microsoft has never been able to break through fully. And there is a cultural dimension to that. And it just business in Japan is different than in the West, where it's like the only thing that matters is the dollar. It's not really like that in Japan completely. Um, I, I think they just look at it and go, We don't need to have you know first party support in RPGs, fighting games because we get the support. From these studios, and we pay for it as well. I mean, don't forget, like, we know that they paid for exclusivity with, you know, Final Fantasy, with, uh, you know, Resident Evil 7 VR, you know, so it can't go on any other platform, you know, lots of those kind of games. Yeah. And I think they'll just keep doing those practices, to be honest. I mean, they were already in deep chats. I mean, this is more of a rumor, but, you know, in deep chats with uh, Bethesda around Starfield. And, you know, talking about large sums of money to make it an exclusive, you know, RPG on PlayStation. So I think they're very conscious of the gaps that they have. But I think the way they fill those gaps isn't, you know, hey, we need to make the game ourselves or buy a studio or anything like that. We just need to be able to pay for that exclusivity.
1: But the, the, the reason why I bring that up is if they're looking at new IP. I mean, are they just going to do another third-person action game? Yeah, as a new IP, you know. I did,
0: yeah, I don't think you will see another zombie game from them, right? So yeah, I yeah. Think but that's I mean, right. like while they obviously play all very differently and they're very different tones,
1: but essentially, you know, your Last of Us, your God of War, your Days Gone, Ghost of Tsushima—I mean, they're all kind of third-person action games in just different types, mm. you know. Um, even when you're bundling something like a Spider-Man, like it just seems like that—that's what. When they're first party, when, talk, when we talk about first party, they're kind of, that's their safe zone. Yeah. They don't really go outside of that with the exception of like Gran Turismo and stuff, but that's obviously well-established. So. If
0: anything, I actually look them in a different way. I, I wonder if they are push more into family-friendly games and and games like, not exactly like, but, you know, you look at games like Animal Crossing and Mario Kart, like Nintendo right now just has a free like run at that space of games. And, you know, they're dominating Japan as well. And, you know, the the real kind of thrust of PlayStation now sits in the U.S. amazingly, but there's still a lot of important folk in Japan and they'll be reeling from the fact that they're getting dominated by the Switch in Japan. So I, I do wonder, because, like, the old PlayStation was always appealing across the whole gamut of ages. I feel like with the PlayStation 4, it got really mature. And I wonder if they'll start to push back into the more the kids' territory and things like that. But yeah, but we'll see, Sweeney. It'll be interesting.
1: Hmm. All
0: right, moving on. DualSense. So just quickly, there's been two new color reveals for DualSense controllers, Midnight Black and Cosmic Red. I, I just wanted to get your take on what you thought these looked like. Mike, are you getting one as the other fellow PlayStation 5 owner?
2: The answer is no. They look cool. They look cool. But no, I will not be getting one. It's a cosmetic thing, which is also kind of funny that the Cosmic Red is $10 more expensive than the Midnight Black. <laughs> um, I don't know if the manufacturing process is that much more expensive to get a different color on it or clearly it's just a marketing ploy because it's cool. So no thanks. Um, I'll stick to my shitty white.
0: <laughs> well, So there's a couple of things for me. Like if I find a bit bizarre that they don't, have the because we all know and they've said themselves that you can remove the side panels for the PlayStation 5. Hmm. And they've gone after people that have tried to provide replaceable ones. So it does seem like they're, you know, wanting to sell them eventually. So I I didn't expect them to go, here's a controller and not have the compatible side panels. You'd think you'd sell it as like you can get the controller, it's red, or you can get the controller, the Cosmic Red controller, mm. and also the side panels and combination. It's slightly cheaper than if you bought them each on its own, cheaper.
2: Yeah, I yeah. know. And you could have a nice black PlayStation, or a... the Cosmic Red does look cool with the fade and stuff. So, yeah, yeah we'll see. When I Maybe into, they'll release
0: it. When I was chatting to my contacts at EB, mm-hmm. they were just like salivating over this. Like the side panels or something, they're going to make so much money on the side panels. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's going to be great because it's just like pieces of plastic that are like three dollars. <laughs> <It's> super overpriced. <laughs> they're going yeah. to make like fifty bucks each one. Brilliant. No, yeah. I just want the real reason why I wanted to highlight this because I was like, oh, they look really cool. I really like the cosmic red one, but I'm not a big, I just not a big color guy for controllers. And yeah, like I looked at the black one, and if you actually look at it closely, I think it looks really crappy because. It's like the shell part. If you see the white part of the traditional jewel sense, it's actually a different tone to the part at the bottom. I don't know if you know what. If you guys can see what I'm saying, so yeah, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. that would bother the hell out of me because it's not the same black. Because it's a different. Well, it, it's I almost like the not even a black. Is slightly different. Yeah, as well, isn't it? The type yeah. of plastic
2: they use. Yeah,
1: uh-huh. but
0: they've done they've done that
1: to still go with the jewel color scheme. So, I know, like, but, rather than being all black, it's kind of two-toned.
0: Yeah, but it's kind of like two-toned of different black. I don't know. I'm so OCD with that kind of shit. So, once I saw that, I was like, wow, I can never, ever have that. I can never wow. have a black console.
2: <laughs> all I could say is I've never even bothered. Well, now that I started playing the PlayStation, I don't even care or notice what color the controller is, to be honest.
0: Like, the whole setup is, I don't like, get it. it's egregious. Like, it's an eyesore. Like, my, even my parents, when they saw it, they're like, what the hell is that on your desk?" Like They didn't even know what it was. They thought it might have been a PC or something because it was right next to my other PC. Um, but yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. I
2: like them and I, I like the designs and everything. It's just it's one of those things that they, they look pretty for a bit and then they get dirty and they get worn. Like white. Yeah. And then you're like, why did I spend $110 on that? Well, just any of them. Like it, the Cosmic Red one, I think it looks really, really cool as as you know a piece of tech and stuff. But how long unless you keep it in a box, how long is it going to stay nice and shiny and cool? Yeah. It's just going to be a used controller by the end of it. And I think the marketing behind this is amazing that people will fork out extra cash just because of the color of a controller that they never really look at. Just what is it to show off to their friends or something? It's, it's such an interesting mentality. Marketing <laughs> at its finest, I think.
0: Well, there's a lot of people that... um We'll collect them all, like all the variations and stuff.
2: Yeah, there's that too. But again, marketing, right? It's, it's all down to marketing. I know, so I
0: know it's brilliant. All right, let's move on. Uh, so our, for our final news story, uh, just covering quickly the release of the Retro Tink Five X Pro. So uh, I'll try to r- run through this pretty quickly. I think if you want to go for a deeper dive, check out Modern Vintage Gamer, My Life in Gaming, and retro rgb so that's bob from retro rgb they're all really great channels really great resources for nerds like me who love retro consoles retro gaming and then how do you you know get the best advantage out of modern technology with that um so yeah with the retro Tink, just quickly mike chi who's the person behind the company he's a very cool guy he's an electrical engineer who was like oh okay i want to get back into retro gaming found it was really hard to do some of the basic stuff and i actually bought one of his first products so basically, it was a hat. So, a hat is like a component of technology that goes on top of another piece of electronics for um, the RetroPie. So, you have like the Raspberry Pi, and you could actually plug it on top of the Raspberry Pi and provide output, uh, composite output to TVs. So, I did that for a while, and that was very like that was ages ago. It's pretty and cool. Like I said, he's a really nice guy. I reached out to him, I had a chat to him, and all that kind of stuff. He was a really, really nice guy. And he's just gone from strength to strength and he's very like big on how do you make things as simple as possible, you know, easy as possible, plug and play as possible and just get on with it. And I think here, like, and I think for you, Sweeney, you should definitely uh, pay attention to this product. Like for me, this product, the whole genesis of the product, the idea of it is you take your old consoles. So NES, Super, Nintendo, Nintendo 64, everything pre-HDMI. And then his device, this 5X Pro, you just plug it in and then you've got an HDMI output, plug it into your TV and it's going to work. And this is the best product, I would say, for anyone who's happy to spend the money for it. It's 100% the best product. Now, it's not perfect. There are some issues, I think, with PAL signals, which is important for us because we're in the PAL region. It can be a bit funny, but he's always been really good with updating firmware. I mean, the reality is he's in America he probably doesn't even have some of these consoles that people have now tested it on. And he's very quick and, you know, he's actually got, you know, easily firmware, updatable um, hardware. Uh-huh. So he can actually go through and fix this. But essentially what it does at a very like, you know, quick pace, it's, you know, it's electronics. So there's almost no delay. And he's very transparent about the delay. Like some of these products, he's like, it's a 53 milli- uh, microsecond delay, <laughs> right? And you think about it, like a frame, in a mm-hmm. 60, 60 FPS game is like 1,667, you know, microseconds. You know what I mean? And he's like 53 microsecond delay. The guy, like everyone else would say it's <laughs> lag-free, but he's like so transparent and honest, That's this so guy. Cool. I really, really like the guy. Um, and essentially I like it,
2: mics. Uh, <laughs> mics are the best. <laughs> what it does is,
0: if you think about like a Super Nintendo, like simplistically, this is not exactly true, but simplistically, there's 240 horizontal lines, right? And this is why these things... In the old days, used to be called line doublers because they would take each line and then double it, turn it into a 40, 480 sort of P sort of uh, signal, wow. which most even TVs could, could cope with the 480. TVs can't cope with the 240, they just aren't built for it. But this one, and this is why it's 5X because it actually can multiply it five times and even six times. And why do you want to do that? It's because you take a Super Nintendo. You plug it into Mike Cheese Retro Tink 5X Pro, and then you can actually plug it through HDMI to a 1440p monitor, and it will perfectly pretty much multiply the lines out. So the pixels are like super chunky, super perfect, you know, nearest oh, neighbor, nice. like yeah. just yeah. look sick. So like for me, it's like if you're someone on this video, you're like looking at, I want to take an old console, a super, you know, an N- Nintendo 64 plug it into my latest OLED TV that I've just bought. One of the top range ones that I'll have for 10 years. This is the device you want. Now it's 275 US dollars, but Mike cheese always like had things at a very affordable price. The price is because of the current component is- issue. Like he's already said that He goes, I expected it to be way cheaper, but when he's buying the components, they're like three times, four times more than he normally pays. Hmm. And he's actually said, it will be cheaper with time, like in revisions and stuff like that. Uh So it's one of those ones, if you don't need it now, probably hold off because it will be cheaper once we get through this component crisis. But yeah, if you're keen to plug in old consoles to HDMI without modifying them, this is a perfect way to do it. Any question, boys? (laughs) Nope, sounds good.
1: thank you very much for that. Good job, Mike.
0: (laughs) And then I should say one time, like we will cover mister i actually might buy mister and then we'll cover it through that way (laughs) so that's one way to do it all right let's uh go to my favorite segment of the week the bargain bin for the week commencing sunday the 16th of may so epic game store as always has come through not always but uh the lion song is free at the moment until the 21st of may and they've gone back to their format of saying there's a mystery game coming up which you know, generally when they do that kind of stuff, they have a pretty decent game in the pipeline. So keep your eyes on that. Uh, for the Switch, uh, Anim- *Anima: Gate of Memories* Arcane Edition is twenty two fifty until. I'll the- just
1: clarify. I'll just clarify. Sorry that yeah, that was until twenty for May. That is a dual pack of *Anima: Gate of Memories* and *Anima: Gate of Memories: The Nameless Chronicles*. Uh, so two games there. Okay,
0: and they're they're fifteen dollars each separately. Oh, okay, cool. Until the 20th of May, Gods Remastered is $4.50 until the 20th of May. And Katamari Damase Reroll is $7.50. Very, very fun game until the 23rd of May on PlayStation. Until the 27th of May, Castlevania Anniversary Collection. So that does not include Symphony of the Night, but it has a lot of the old school Castlevania games. It is $7.50. Thief is $2.50, it's a bit of a bargain percent <laughs> That's been
1: so cheap
2: on Steam and stuff. It's, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm always debating
0: about getting it, but I think it's more of a PC I game. I try it out. I think it's a PC game. Because it's covered in uh, Press Reset, but we'll cover that next week. Uh, the dwarves is $11, and Ryzen 3 Titan Lords Enhanced Edition is $6. Risen. 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 I was going to say, is it Risen or Ryzen? It's like, have you seen the movie Risen. Closer or Closer? Yeah. It's literally like you don't know which one it is. Uh, It's $6.25. So, Swinny, over to you for Xbox.
1: Yeah, so with uh, just one edition highlight, it's a little way off, but I did get announced that Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance is uh, launching into console and PC Game Pass on the 22nd of June. Also this week, a couple of... um, you know, updates around what Microsoft is doing with these uh, Series X and S uh, platforms. So, first of all, they're adding Dolby Vision HDR support. Um, that's on the way for TVs that are compatible with that. And I didn't realize that uh, until after I bought it that my new TV does support it. So, that's pretty cool. Um now they're also adding uh, some more accessibility options uh, pretty soon. Uh, so text to speech and speech to text support for Party Chat is on the way. So that's actually really really cool. Hmm. It's nice to have that uh, those features available, especially for people that um, you know can't use um, you know the game pads very well as well. So.
0: Okay, cool, awesome. All right, well, let's get into our features. Uh, so just to keep things fresh for the boys, I've actually uh, rejigged the order, just conscious that Mike is potentially having to leave oh, us, very unprofessionally. notice it happened. Um, what witchcraft is this? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so uh, what we wanted to cover is as a continual feature, our game of summer of the year of 2011, uh, this week we will be covering The Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim, The Majestic Epic. That's, that's your commentary, isn't it? That's your opinion, Swinnie? Well, I have to
1: come up with some kind of I a subtitle yeah. for
0: every. hero. I've
1: that. made it made it five out of six so far.
0: So, <laughs> so yeah, like these, like these. Uh, I don't, what do you even call it? It's not even a retrospective. Almost like we're just chatting about the game leading up to our determination of what the greatest the the game of some other year is for twenty eleven. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, as per normal, we should cover what all six nominees are. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, at at. Next to Skyrim, the other five nominees are Minecraft, Super Mario 3D Land, L.A. Noir, Deus Ex: Human Revolution, and Dark Souls. And we've done nominee features for all of them uh, so far, except Dark Souls, which will be in two weeks. So if you want to check out our uh, thoughts, extended thoughts on all those four previous uh, nominees, uh, check out the videos on on YouTube or the episodes. Mm.
0: And and we should say with this game, like this is for a lot of people the obvious. Game of the Year, one two hundred and twenty nine game of the years in its time period, it's insane, and has been released subsequently on every, every platform under the sun. Well, now it hasn't, I guess, because PS Five it hasn't been released on, and Xbox Series X, but it will. I think they've already said it's going to be released on. So PS Five, the,
2: the Legendary Edition, you'll, they'll then release a <laughs> revive. I don't even know what they'll call it. Epic. Legendary edition on the remake. PS5. Remake. <laughs> no, they Wait, what's a remake. Wait, what's a legendary edition? Uh, oh, sorry, I'm talking about Mass Effect. Oh, no, I know, I know. What was the latest Skyrim edition? edition? The special, special edition, edition, sorry. Uh, I've read it because
0: uh, I think I've got all of them. I've got it on the Switch. I've got. No, I think there was a version on... that came out. Um, uh, it was a what stadium. Was I thought. Hmm. I mean, that's kind of like, is that even technically a thing? I think there was a Legendary Edition, though. I, yes, there is. There was a Legendary really? Edition. By the
1: in, way... Back well, in 2013, was, yes. When I was asking you, Mike, <laughs> I wasn't actually having a go at you. I didn't even think of Mass Effect. I was okay. curious about what a Legendary oh, okay. Edition no, Skyrim I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> but no, I do remember <laughs> there was Into one. God's the one that's there like, was. slam with a the Mass
2: <laughs> There absolutely was one uh, way back. The Yeah, Elder Scrolls V Skyrim Legendary Edition. That's the one I was thinking of because I have that on PC.
0: Actually, and they then did- I
2: also have yeah. the special edition on PC.
0: Yeah, they have the VR edition as uh, well. So that is a very, that is a different so version. How many of them?
2: It's insane. It's probably the most remade game. Is it the most remade game in history? It's got to no, be. Surely, no, definitely not. What else would be? Oh. the number of the number of different copies and SKUs of this game.
1: I can't think of
0: anything. I think Tetris. Else. I mean Tetris. Yeah, okay, look at maybe that, Tetris. the same time. Yeah, Tetris. Yeah, yeah, Tetris. Fair enough. Tetris <laughs> yeah. might win. Yeah, you're no, right. But it is a modern but game. It's I feel a like game- Tetris had
2: different variations. You know what I mean? It wasn't like the Tetris that was done. This sure. is like it was. This feels like it was basically the same edition, and then they sort of had an upgraded edition, and then there's just copies of both. Yeah, multiple copies of both. Whereas Tetris kind of had many different versions of Tetris across different platforms. But fair enough. I'll give you guys Tetris.
0: So this, this game hit hard in the year it got released and mm-hmm. still is played by millions of people every single month to this day, heavily supported by mods, uh, released on lots of different formats. Like Mike said, it actually was a big announcement when it was released on the Switch and announced on the Switch. It was a part of the Switch's launch that, hey, we're going to have Skyrim. You know, we're a real console um now the history is swinny you played this at the time it was released
1: and beat it so i actually bought this on launch day 360 um but i i kind of played it for about two hours and put it down it probably came back i and it's one of those games you're like oh man i should have waited uh because i think probably come back for like another 10 months to actually play it Mm. um and uh yeah so it's and even though I bought it on launch, like, I bought it on launch regardless of the fact that I wasn't even a huge fan of Oblivion and hadn't played enough Morrowind mm. to fall in love with the series. But there was just so much buzz, so mm. much yeah. hype around this game that I'm like, I think I just impulse purchased. I'm, I saw it and I'm like, I happen to be in JB the day it came
0: out. I'm just going <laughs> to buy this bloody game. Bye, bye, bye. I think, but, it, like, out of these games, and, you know, we, this is not a comprehensive list, the six that we have there, but I think it was the most hyped game that year, right? Like it was more hyped than Dark Souls, surely. It oh, must easily be, yeah. the most hyped. More hyped than yeah, the Batman it's... game. That was pretty I'd hyped. say So, yeah, yeah I'd, say so. I'd say this yeah. probably the most. Yeah,
2: absolutely yeah. is. It's one of the most hyped yeah. games of all time. And I'd look, say. it lives
0: up to it, man. Like, so, I, I mean, not to you know shortcut our determination, but this this game is an amazing game. It's there's so know, much it... to it. There's it's still even today. Now uh, we should say the context is you guys played it when it came out. This is before the remastered edition, everything like that. I've only played it this year, so oh, for the first okay. time, this is like really when I've played it, and I I beat it a few weeks ago. Now that's just the main quest. I haven't played enough of the side quests and every. I played a few of them.
2: The side quests are the better quests, by the way.
0: Some they're of, not even
1: side
2: quests. <laughs>
1: Why what do you call them? Yeah, well, it's just like you've got a main quest and you've got the guild quest. Yeah, like, guild. I'll yeah, call them side yeah. quests.
0: Yeah, f- fair enough. But you know what I'm saying, Swinny, right? Um, and yeah, like it's an amazing game. Like it's look for me. One thing about this game is, given that I'm playing this later, there's some elements to the game I get, like, so frustrated about, and it feels like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm running through mud or something like that. Like, for me, you know, I'm a huge fan of Breath of the Wild. So I played Breath of the Wild first, then played this game. And Breath of the Wild is just like, you go anywhere. It's it's the same kind of concept. It really does feel like you go anywhere you want. But to me, this game, like, I, I get up to, like, a rock, and I can't get over the rock. Let's, there's no way for me to get yeah, over the rock,
2: but that that's that's to do with their engine in general. Fallout had the same problem. Oblivion had the same problem.
0: Yeah, but I don't care about their engine. It's a
2: game engine. I don't thing.
0: care about their engine. It's just what, like what do you need to
2: do? By the way, you should have asked me. Is if you turn around and jump backwards... no, I did that. You can, you I did that naturally. <laughs> I did that naturally.
0: Dude, I did that naturally. I was trying because I was trying to get up a mountain, and then I found mm. I was getting up the mountain better if I was going backwards up the mountain. Yes. <laughs>
1: So that's what See, I, I
0: learned to do naturally. And what, then I found out there's like a technique for it. What you
1: view as a negative, I view as of course, you like, you didn't even let me finish my sentence <laughs> before you said that. I said I view as just one of those charming quirks of of this game and believing had it as well, where it's almost like you can shortcut the game based on how well <laughs> you navigate the terrain. Like there's parts in Oblivion I remember where uh i was like skipping whole areas because i was like managing to climb these ridiculous mountains <laughs> that are like almost vertical facing yeah. um but by using certain angles and stuff and it's look this this game in general is not flawless <laughs> oh, um, no. <laughs> and but there's those rough edges almost as i said like it adds a charm to it for me um now it's not charming when you fall through the terrain or you you get like stuck and you can't get out kind of situations but in general, I kind of like the fact that this game isn't, like, it doesn't restrict you in that way. It's like, you can actually make your own way past that stuff. Exactly.
2: Sometimes. And that goes the same with um, not just, obviously, the physics and the terrain and everything else, but the way you approach situations. It's like, it's it's a full-on proper RPG. Um, not, not to the extent that, you know, you can diffuse some situations like you can, I think, in Fallout. Fallout had a bit more of that type of RPG-ness in it. Well, Fallout
1: is more focused on dialogue.
2: Um, yeah, exactly. Whereas with this one, it was it was more, uh, you, you know, it's it, it's it's a lit, it, You can do quests in multiple ways, but it's not the same approach in the way you you take different ways. But what I really liked about this game is, and I guess we can start talking about gameplay a little bit, is the fact that it's very open to what you can do with your character, unlike other games where you from the very beginning in a lot of games determine what kind of character you want do you you know do you want a rogue do you want a thief do you want a warrior do you want a mage and you kind of get stuck down that path and that becomes your archetype and you mm. can't really do anything else with it whereas with this you can make a character whatever you want and whilst to be fair it's a little harder later on to get certain skills up to the same degree you can do that if you want to you know start specializing in, in bows and arrows um, halfway through the game, no problem, go do that. If you want to start doing something else, go do that. The game lets you do that. And I think that's the, that's so cool because you can really role-play role properly without kind of screwing yourself over and putting 50 hours into it and going, shit, I've just made a character that really sucks. Mm. And that actually reminds me of, of Oblivion. And in one of my Oblivion playthroughs, I completely gave up. In fact, I think it was my very first Oblivion playthrough. Because in that game, uh, so the predecessor to Skyrim, much like in this one, you would level up based on uh, the, the skills that um, you would use. So if you kept, for example, um, you know, using archery, you'd level up and then after certain points in, in archery, you'd go up one actual level in the game. But with Oblivion, enemies were also um, leveling up (laughs) according to you. So, they were always the same level as you practically. Not all of them, but a lot of them. So, what happened was, like an idiot, I'm like, oh, wow, there's a little cheat. I can just keep running around to build up my athletics (laughs) and and my swimming and all these useless skills that had absolutely (laughs) zero use in the real game. And I'd level myself up artificially. So, I'd be like this overhyped level. But the moment I ran into, like, a wolf or something or a rat or whatever, like, tiniest,
1: lowest enemy, I would just get ripped to bits. And, so, I'm like, oh, that's a bit of a bug. But. Yeah, and that's one of the points I had is that the fact that they that they didn't take the enemy scaling from Oblivion um, is, is such a plus for this game. It's much better. It does mean yeah. you can explore and you don't feel like... Yeah, like you're leveling yourself up in the wrong way. Um, but I'd it is it love- is
2: mixed. It's a mix. Sorry on that one. So so there are there. It, I I find it really weird to be honest. I actually I actually got to the point where I don't understand what the scaling really works like because I'm level seventy one in my current playthrough, and in one quest line, as in within you know a, a few ten minutes worth of gameplay, I'd be versing enemies that were really high level. Clearly, because my pimped up broken game weapon takes multiple hits to take him down and then you know a minute later it's like enemies that get taken down instantly it's really weird i, I actually do not well, understand how it scales in some areas it's well there's no odd. there
1: there is no scaling in the game well no but but you do
2: like for example revenant dragons only appear if you're a certain level like if you're level oh 70, yeah but that's like different. That kind that's, stuff, just, yeah.
1: that's just Like threshold points where events will start to happen. That's not yes, but I mean, it's it's, it's hard to
2: it's hard to figure out what's where. Like, if you go into an older area where the enemies are still, because you know what I mean. Like, it's an open map, so I I still don't know to this day if you go to a particular cave, if that cave is capped or if that cave isn't capped. I don't know. It's 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 odd the way they do it. It's not a big deal. It's not it's not, but it's not like the kind of game where you go to a specific location, you know, one hundred percent for a fact. there's a level one rats. And it's always yeah, level one, rats.
1: So just to finish what I was saying is that the fact that the enemies don't scale, but they still manage to find a really great balance in how those high-level enemies and when you're exploring, I think they they balance the line perfectly mm, they in did, that yeah. regard. Um, because there's no times... So you'll come across an enemy like, okay, that enemy's too, too powerful for me, but that happens in every RPG. Then you're like, okay, that is not the area for me to, to tackle right now. Mm. I'll come back once I'm further in the game. Um, but I just think that it's it's balanced really really well, and it was like I believe it was a shit show in that regard. (laughs) um, If you did it wrong, so are
0: you sure that there's no scaling at all? Yes. Okay. Because it just seems like there's a lot of discussion that there is, but it's subtle or whatever, but anyway. Everything the... I've ever read say that uh, enemies don't weird. scale. No, no, you're the expert. I would trust you. Um, just on your point, though, Mike, at the start around, you know, like, like the core of what an RPG is, right? Like uh, being able to do what you want, play with the character you want. I don't know why playing. I always do this, but every game I play, if there's a thief, I always pick the thief. And then, like, <laughs> if there's weird classes, I'll pick the weird class or whatever. And then I end up just playing, like, a basically a melee build. Like, <laughs> and I always hamper myself. So I did exactly that in this game. I picked the Thief, and I have not stolen one thing in the entire game. I finished, like, the main quest, and I didn't steal one single thing. And it's just, I don't know why I do it. And then I just became like a, you know, I want to smash people with, you know, an axe or something like that. Like, I don't know. (laughs) But it's good the game lets you do that. It is, it is. It is. Because other games really punish me for doing that because I've like put myself backwards massively. Like I need to use the steel mechanic and I just, I don't know. I'm too nice. Like we'll touch on it if you're still around for the Mass Effect Legendary Edition one, but... Mm -hmm. I keep on seeing this Paragon stuff, everything I do, Paragon plus two, Paragon plus five or whatever. You're goody-goody-two-shoes. And, yeah, I found out that, yeah, I'm a goody-goody-two-shoes. shoes (laughs) (laughs) always like the nice guy. (laughs) Interesting. Hmm, I thought he'd go Renegade, but yeah. No, no, no. That's in real life, I'm a Renegade.
1: (laughs) So can we talk a bit about the main quest? Yes. So the the main quest is, um, it's a huge improvement from Oblivion, no doubt. Um, But as, as I think Mike can attest to, it still doesn't have any real sense of urgency whatsoever to <laughs> it. Um, None. And can feel very run-of-the-mill sometimes. It's still fun, but I it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the, the next game, if they actually make it so they entice players more to actually tackle that as opposed to just, you know, oh, I'm going to leave that for 100 hours <laughs> like what did yeah, and what? don't even go visit the Greybeards. Yeah. Um, until that point but and look you know the final boss is probably you know it's probably a bit crappy but it's look there's some epic moments um and i enjoyed it but ultimately it's a bit of a forgettable story um but i do like path of access that, that uh dragon at the top of the that was cool, oh yeah so i, I wasn't gonna say it was a second. dragon
0: but now that you've already spoiled it but spoiler alert for everyone because i i was playing the game i don't know anything i i try to go dark on all these games so i don't know and then john tries sorry Swinny tries to uh you know, ruin it for me by saying, Oh, this character dies or this happens or whatever. But when you got to the top of the mountain and Parthenax, is that right, Swinney? Yeah. Yeah, when it was a dragon, I was like, Oh shit, it's a dragon. I was like surprise. <laughs> I was like, surprise Oh this. Is cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is cool. I didn't so Sweeney, I didn't mind the story that much. I normally hate the stories in these kind of games. Uh yeah, I thought it was serviceable. It wasn't great. So I totally agree with that component of it. Um It's just, like, honestly, the thing that just makes me go, it's so strange the way they structured it. You play through the whole main quest, you finish the game, and then you're just, like, left at the mountain, and it's like, okay. Like, there's no credits or anything. I don't know, it's some OCD thing for me, where it's like, okay, I finished it, give me credits, and then I'm back into the game normally. Like, it just feels weird that the game opens with credits. But that's the thing about
2: it. You don't need it to... You almost don't even. It's almost not even like the main quest. You know what I mean? I agree with it's just that. I agree another with that, yeah. quest in the game. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of like how they handled it. I feel like, like when he's saying they like, you know what? Just get rid of the main quest. You know, like at so, that point. So. But then you don't have like an underlying. But you didn't even use it as an underlying story
2: arc, right? Yeah, you don't, but I mean, like, some people need that underlying story. I think
0: the I more think. challenging thing would be to create some narrative out of the, you know, quote-unquote side quests.
1: Hmm.
0: So, those uh, quote-unquote side quests, okay, <laughs> probably the
1: meat of the game, yeah. are the guilds. Hmm. So, oh, the guilds. The, this is Skyrim. So, <laughs> fuck the main quest. This is the content <laughs> that people love this is Skyrim, Skyrim for. That's true. So this is the most real Skyrim. Of- my favorite and it's not gonna be everyone's favorite i love the college of Winterhold. like the setting Mm. of that is with this giant like college on the edge of this like icy mount uh you know cliff uh it's awesome one of my favorite quest lines ever the thieves guild is awesome like some really cool twists that go on in there great rewards when you finish it all honestly all the rewards from these um guilds the ultimate ones are just it make it worth it and that's Mm. you know that's a big part of it and the dark brotherhood of course is also great Mm -hmm. i Really cool, really humorous. I don't know. I don't think it tops Oblivion's version. I think that one's just a bit more memorable with some really, really cool moments in it. But uh, overall, all the the guilds are great. Uh, the I forget the name of what's the what's the um, guild in White Run. The ah the the.
2: Oh God! The remember, white manes and the grey beard. not the grey It's the white manes and the.
1: Yeah. Anyway, the the white run one. That one's yeah. probably not as memorable, but it's got its cool moments. Um. And yeah, let's look. To me, this that is the meat of the game. And you know, I tried to push into got to to focusing on that rather than main quest. But I understand why you wanted to do the main quest. Um, if you had limited time to play through. So. I so and, and
0: I, I will get through those. Like I think that's the beauty of the game as well that you can kind of go at your own pace, do your own thing. It's like Mike spending 100 plus hours not doing the main storyline and getting a lot out of the game. Yeah. I mean, that's the... I finished it. I finished it. I finally finished it. That's cool. That's cool. You know, like, I I know I'm a whinger and, you know, this is expecting too much, especially that the game is so hacky, it feels like from an engine point of view. But, God, I wish that there was some kind of cross-platform save in this game. Oh, that'd be awesome. Because, like, I really want to play it. Sorry, go on. That that guild was called The Companions. That's That's right, The Companions, yes.
1: I didn't want to
2: spoil anything about it by saying other things, but, yeah, it's worth doing it.
0: Yeah, I I really want to play this on PC Mm. because it's great playing on the Switch. It really supports my lifestyle, just with the Mm. kids and everything, but, like, just sometimes I want to boot it up in the highest quality and play on the PC. Um, Yeah. And I've seen it on PC. It looks amazing on my PC, but... I, it's a bit like I don't know. I looked I was thinking about it the other day maybe I should just start again on PC. <laughs> cuz you kind it's of don't need the main feel. quest, right? So No, you don't. Yeah. You just yeah. muck
2: around. Um it's a different feel on different platforms. Yeah. To to me the most memorable one I think was probably the original one back in 2011 on on 360. And that's cuz I was playing it on a TV and the immersion just it just felt so much more immersive than playing it on the Switch. I love I played the most recent one on the Switch. So I did practically everything, other than I think um, I'm doing halfway through Dawnguard, and then I just have the uh, the Dragonborn DLC DLC left. I think that's kind of it. Um, And that was all on the Switch, but on the 360, there were just just some of the moments felt so much more memorable, Um, and even little things like I remember when I finished the College of Winterhold, and you you become this this you know pretty powerful mage by that stage because I had sort of pumped a lot of points into that. And then I was kind of just wandering around the landscape and I came across this, this shack in the middle of the snow um, in sort of this somewhat foresty area. And then the aurora started shining uh, in the sky. And it was just that really awesome moment where you felt like you were really role-playing the game. Like you were this mage that was, you know, in solitude in the middle of the wilderness, just away from everything and the conflicts happening around there. And that level of immersion was probably one of the greatest things I remember in, in any game. Um, and you certainly, I feel like you don't get that on the Switch as much. And that's just because you can't. It's hard to immerse yourself in a tiny little screen that's in front of you. Mm. Um, so it's worth I, worth experiencing in other platforms. Yeah. yeah those
1: o- those organic moments that you're talking about. That's what makes this game really special to mm. me. Just you're just walking around this mountain path, and suddenly, like, there's this dragon battle of two dragons yeah, yeah, yeah. fighting each other. <laughs> Piece out of nowhere, and like a lot of that stuff is unscripted, you know, just some of it leads to a lot of jank, but just being in a, a village and suddenly a dragon attacks a village, you're like, oh my God, what the hell it's out so of cool. nowhere. Yeah. It's just, it's like, it just makes the game feel so epic in that regard. Um And there's a lot, look, there's a lot more to that, but the way they handled the dragons with those unscripted moments, is just, yeah, it's so
0: special. Yeah. And, you know, like, I think I've texted you guys early into the actual, um, playthrough of the game and i'm like oh i kind of get skyrim it's kind of like it's pretty fucking cool i think part of it is because i was just like going around doing random shit and just like running into giants and (laughs) oh and they're just destroyed yeah Yeah, i was like level 10 or something just getting pummeled and i was like oh okay this game's pretty wacky pretty cool um I, i don't know i can't get past the traversal it drives me nuts but you know having said that the other quirkiness of the engine i don't know how they do it but it is it does feel charming not frustrating and it's it's, maybe it's just because like the game has so much interactivity like bizarre interactivity like you'll pick up stuff and then i'll come through like you know 40 hours later or 20 hours later and it's still there i'm like what the hell Mm. like and it feels like it's exactly where i placed it Mm. i don't know like the engine is pretty wacky and pretty cool the way that they've built it um
2: the only the, the one annoying thing about things being where you place them is if you kill a dragon, I still have a dragon and white run from the start of the game just sitting there in the middle of the,
0: the road. <laughs> what yeah what the so, one that uh that you go in the fort to try to kill
2: uh no it's just the very beginning of the game i it happened to get attacked by a dragon I don't remember if that was scripted and there's just a dragon I'll send you guys screenshots and just, just run away from just, it every time the 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 the, the area gets loaded. It just There's a dragon in the middle of it. And it happened to me on the other platforms. That's it happened funny. to me in the College of Winterhold. I had a dragon that would always just appear in the middle of the, the path whenever I'd load, <laughs> just like flopping in. So, yeah, it's just bugs That's like that. But it's yeah. so
1: in terms of presentation, look, the the music in this game is just epic. Mm. Like the main theme with the chanting, like da 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 like all that stuff. It's just ah, oh, makes you feel. It's <laughs> exhilarating. It's like man, I'm on an epic adventure now. Yeah. Um. And look, the game looks nice. You know, especially what the work they do with the special edition. But I'd say that it it's almost like it puts up a good front because when you start examining a lot of the finer details the game is you know the presentation graphics is probably one of the weaker points but i think it handles it really well it's like okay this engine at this point we've probably done everything we can do to this engine Mm. Um, but i think the other thing with the presentation is i love look i love the look of the land but there are some points when you you kind of feel like you want a bit more variety because obviously it's, it's snow, it's snow and cold That's and snow. cold mountains. It's, it's the setting, yeah. I'm not saying that, but sometimes I think the blue tones can get tiresome after a while. That's why when you go to a place like Blackreach, the first time you go there, and you're like, oh my god, there's this awesome underground area, and it's like it's, it feels really magical, but it's also because it feels different. It's a nice change of pace from being out in the snow and the, the the mountains and that um and that's why i also really like while we're not really so much um you know reviewing the expansions but soul the dragonborn expansion takes you to a completely mm, looking, looking forward to that area that's like a change and it's yeah so I, I, in terms of the main i guess you know area that's probably one of the the weaker parts for me but it didn't it didn't negate the fact that I love this game. Like this is one of my favorite games I've ever played. So.
0: Yeah. I, I went on a, I, I thought I was on the main quest. Right. And I actually was not like, I, I ended up, maybe it was in the dragonborn quest or I don't know what it is, but it was like, I ended up in oblivion. Is that right? Does that make sense? What I'm saying?
1: Um, Oblivion as in you ended up in like the hellscape
0: world or what? No, What's no. What? I was like, Oh, I got shipped off on a ship.
1: That'd be solstein
0: Yeah, be solstein. yeah, 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 yeah. So I ended up doing a whole bunch of stuff over there, right? And I was like, "Whoa, what the? Where am I? What, what am I doing here?" But I actually, yeah. thought it was really cool and thought it was like one of one of the parts that I liked the most about the game.
1: Yeah, it's Solstein has a very Morrowind feel to it. Um, from what I've played of Morrowind. Yeah, Morrowind, but, uh, that's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what it was from. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so not um, a moon, Morrowind, that's what I was thinking.
1: Yeah, and that's what I was saying. Like it's it was nice to, it's nice to have a change and Dragon Ball is one of my favourite expansions I've ever played. I think it does mm. some great stuff. Looking forward to it. But look for me, just some general last general stuff is while it's very iconic the opening of the game and i'm okay with the way that the game opens i think after that exciting intro it feels like things grind to a halt a bit and i think that's why a lot of people do kind of like it that's why i think i put the game down for a while after the first couple of hours because it doesn't feel like the sense of urgency so Mm. that's to me one of the things that um now that i love the game i kind of you know obviously you get past that um i like the I really like the radiant quests idea. How you know they give people stuff, repeating quests, but then they change the you know the triggers. They change the the criteria for them. It's really really cool idea to give people more content. Um, and the inventory, uh, the inventory system. So it's a really it's a really big step up from Oblivion. But there's times when I it, when you got a lot of stuff, there's times when it can just be a bit of a hassle to oh, manage.
0: Dude, it's so annoying. It's so yeah. annoying. I, I don't agree with you, man. It—I was losing the plot. It was actually starting to piss me off with the game so much. Wait,
1: you don't agree with me? It's a big step up from Oblivion. No, no, no. <laughs> that you said it's
0: like it's it's okay, but it can get frustrating. I'm like it, it's super frustrating for me.
1: Okay, yeah. I don't have an issue with it.
0: Oh, maybe I just collect too much shit. Like I see no, stuff, I, go, I don't even and need it. I might as well go get it.
1: Well, I warned you about that. I said, yeah. hey, you know, you did don't. There's going to be times <laughs> when you just. You learn. I don't need these. I know. I know. I never apples.
2: used any. I never used any Do you have a home
0: though? Did you get? <laughs> no, nah, I didn't get a breeze.
2: home. See, that's the difference. Dude. I hoard, and then I. Oh, you didn't get a home back then. That was Can difference.
0: I just say, far out? Like, <laughs> I had my thane, right? Well, no, no, yeah. it's not my thane. What do they call them? People that they, they follow me around? Are you, a, well,
1: it's you, a companion, like companion, Lydia. A companion, mate, yeah. companion, right? Yeah. Did you it's, have Lynda? She
0: freaking died. Lydia. Lydia. She died. she died. Oh, no. Yeah, that's because you could didn't fu- protect her. I didn't know you she could fucking her. die. Well, I was yeah. like, what the fuck? So I was like yeah. going through. <laughs> that's on you. I was going through a really hard <laughs> exactly. area. And then I'm like, where the fuck is she? And, you know, it's kind of happened before where she disappeared a bit and then she respawned, right? So I'm yeah. like, oh, she's going to respawn. So I played another couple of hours or whatever, got through the area. And then I'm like, oh, she's dead. And all my stuff as well was uh, with her.
1: No. Man, you know, you could have gotten <laughs> the home right bitch. after you did, like, the white yeah.
0: runs. That's what I did, yeah. And then you just dumped her home.
1: You, can, you get a home right after you do the Whiterun stuff and you can just dump all your stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, no, I
0: saw about that. But then I was like, nah, I'll get on with it.
1: Oh, I <laughs> have. Oh, that's my God. My then, game is... You,
0: then, then that's the inventory <laughs> problem is no, 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 you no, no. being I've been crappy. I've been storing it at that pub in Whiterun.
1: But you know, stuff can go missing. I know, I heard yeah, that. But I, I just rolled the dice. Yeah. I
0: rolled the Bethesda dice. Oh, <laughs> the reality is, you almost hey, never and I've got use the so. stuff. I know that's the thing. It's like digital hoarding. I never it's even use any haunted. of the other stuff.
2: <laughs> no, I, to be to be fair, I did use some other stuff, but it's so rare that you go back to really need it that it's it's just a hoarding thing.
0: It's a yeah. problem. Yeah, it's look. It's a really really cool game. I have to say, and just put my bias on the table right at the end of the, the segment. Like fantasy as a setting is always like negative one or two points for me out of 10. Mm. Like there's just something about fantasy. I don't know. It just doesn't gel with me, man. It just doesn't click with me. So I don't know. I, look, I'll say this though. Starfield, I'm like a day one person on that now because of this game. So that's that's huge credit to this game, right? Okay. My, my final thought on
1: this is that I think – to me skyrim is the most successful rpg ever Ooh. in terms in terms of blending true rpg mechanics with a mainstream appeal to me it's the most successful example of a game that's ever done that where it's it's mm. it's like because it is a true rpg in many ways a lot of people oh it's not an rpg like it is it is a, it is a real true rpg but it it's got that mainstream edge to it. Are they? Are they saying?
0: I can't can, think. Just sorry to interrupt. Are they saying it's not an RPG because you're not selecting the sort of progression? It uh, sort of it naturally evolves, or
1: no, it's because people are wankers. That's <laughs> so to me, it's just it's the best example of a game that's blended those two sides ever like i okay. can't think of a game that has that has done it that well mm. um and as i said it's not flawless but it's such it, it's a game that makes you feel like you've gone on a grand adventure which i really mm. appreciate.
0: that's true that's true very cool game i'm going to be so uh so interested to see where you guys think this should place in the top six yeah it's, it's gonna be interesting still still pissed about portal not being portal 2 not being part of the consideration yeah, no, 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 no. Get on, look at this prick. All right, let's uh, get on to our next feature. Uh, so what I wanted to cover was Mass Effect Legendary Edition. So that came out, uh, when was it? Thursday? So the 14th of May. Uh, I, I was kind of like debating whether like to get this game or not. I, I was always going to get it eventually. It was just like, oh, do I get it now or do I get it later? And I think it's just, you know... It, like, I got it for a pretty decent deal. I was happy with the price. And, you know, I do need to start ticking off my dirty dozen in terms of my resolutions. This is one of the 12 mm-hmm. games that I need to play, Mass Effect.
2: Well, one of the 12, it's three games you've got to
0: play. No, no, no. It's very clear. <laughs> I only have to play Mass Effect 1. Uh,
2: okay.
1: Uh, that is true. That yeah, that's yeah, fair, enough, fair smart,
0: enough. Smart oh, goals. Specific, measurable, actionable, yep, yep, yep. relevant, and timely. And, yeah, look, like, so I'm just, for clarity, I'm about three hours... No, actually, four hours. I think into the game. Mm-hmm. I'm a spectre now. That's like early in the game, mm-hmm. um, and I am actually already past where I got up to on the 360 version of this game when I bought it. Woo-hoo. Progress. Uh, and man, I'm I'm really into this game. Oh, okay. I'm like, dude. I like you guys know that I skip things. I skip dialogue. I listen to podcasts mm. instead of the dialogue. I just move on. I'm like, whatever. These stories in games are just lame. <laughs> Dude, oh. okay, I'm just that's, thinking, a of, that's a load of stuff. Okay, I'm just get, Dude, i just got to be real. i got to keep it real. Just kidding. i am got to keep it real. Like, the standard of stories in video games is way lower than in really good films that I watch and books that I read. It's just reality. Um, so skip
1: it all, he says.
0: <laughs> no, most games are, like, pretty <laughs> shit stories. Now, I don't I, know why... I wonder
2: why the stories are shit, given he's skipping them all.
0: Yes! No, but that's... Dude, that's what happens, right? People don't care about them, so they don't invest in them. They don't sell a billion copies because it's got a good story. This game, I don't know, something about the setting, the races, the lore. I am, like, l- literally going through every single dialogue option, all the dialogue well, trees. Just, Welcome to Mass uh, Effect, cool. Yeah, friend. I'm so into this game, man. I'm, like, lore. really into it. Um... I, a few things off the top, though. Number one, mm. how the hell? Uh, and I'm going to start calling out people. How the hell have, is anyone saying they've done a review of this game? Like I'm saying, Mass Effect Legendary Edition. You have not done a review of this. And there's some outlets, including Australian outlets, that are saying they've done a review and scored it. And honestly, that's just fucking bullshit. Like, no, the, but the, the when thing did is,
1: they get the codes? Yeah. No,
0: but the Tuesday thing is, is right. the earliest that anyone got a code for it.
1: But the problem here is. What criteria is there for review of a remaster?
0: Well, okay, I'll tell you this, Sweeney. Like twenty-four hours, and then you're doing a video and you know editing and everything like that. So playing it for like at most eight hours, ten hours is not enough to review something. That's sorry.
1: No, but I'm saying that if if you've already experienced a game before and you know how it plays out, yeah, but
0: you couldn't have played the you couldn't have even played ten percent of the game.
1: No, but if it's a remaster, can you not? That's what I'm asking. I'm not saying that that's okay. I'm asking what is the criteria Mm. for reviewing a remaster? Is it an end-to-end playthrough?
0: No. I'm not even saying necessarily that. I think if you've played a substantive part of the game and seen a substantive part of the changes that they've made to the game, right, to effectively evaluate, what's the point of doing a review of a remaster? It's to say, well, the game's already come out. Is it worthy that they've remade this and remastered it and how they've remastered it? Have they improved it? Have they made it worse? Have they made the lighting worse? All this kind of stuff. What changes have they made? What have they left out? All these kind of nuanced things, right? It's not an exact science, Swinny, right? But I can say when a game is released for code on Tuesday and it's like three 50-hour RPGs and then you put a review out and give it a score, and by the way, the scores determine how much people sometimes get paid as bonuses in these studios To be honest, that's just wrong. And now, should EA have released the game when they had, when they hadn't give the codes out? That's a different question, right? You don't have to put a review out. No one's forcing you. No one's putting a bullet, like a gun to your head. And I have to give a lot of credit to outlets like IGN, who would have a huge amount of pressure to put a review out. And they've come out very openly and said, we got the game on Tuesday. There's no way we can review it by Thursday, Friday. It's impossible, right? Right. So what we're saying is we're just doing impressions, review in progress. This is what we think so far. I actually give them a huge amount of credit. Like they don't get a lot of credit, IGN, GameSpot, these kind of outlets, but they haven't come out and said what the review is. There are a bunch of outlets that have said what the review is. And for me, I put a red flag on all of those outlets. Like if they're saying they've done a review, they can't. It's impossible, man. It's like watching a trailer and then reviewing the movie. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. You've seen key parts of it, but you haven't experienced it enough to be able to give a review. Anyway, moving on from that. Uh Mike, you bought this game but you haven't received it yet? Correct,
2: yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to to getting
0: it. Yeah. I think it's going to uh, be really fascinating. Maybe we'll touch base like in a month's time when we've both played enough of it to actually give, you know, considered thoughts on absolutely. the game. Um, but I also
2: think it would look uh this game would look amazing on uh, on a, like a I don't know, an LG C1 TV or something. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh, it could look it would look incredible on that. If only I had a TV like that,
1: I would totally get this
0: game, Sweeney. Sweeney, are you going to get this game eventually?
1: <laughs> oh, I'm not going to buy Mass Effect. Says the probably biggest Mass Effect fan on the show. <laughs> well, Mike, Mike could make an uh, argument for that. But oh, I thought yeah, I thought Mass Effect, I thought Mike was the biggest. <laughs> when you said that,
0: I thought of Mike as the biggest fan. I'm no,
2: I think he's a bigger fan than, than I am. I oh, really into, okay, with all the marketing. And I've got all the, all the t-shirts and the toys and the, so toys the, and fan. And the, the fan. books and the <laughs> figurines. And, but I still think he's probably a bigger fan than I am okay. stuff, to some of
1: extent. Course I, of course I'm going to get it. I just, um, with this, I just wanted to give it a bit of time. I just wanted to give it a bit of time, get a few patches out there. Yeah. So I'm not in a rush. So. Do
0: it for the podcast. Yeah. Do it for the podcast. But, um, hey,
1: do it for the podcast. You'll see the next segment what I've done for the Bloody podcast.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> oh, well, Mike isn't. Mike is going to bail on us. No, no, no. Uh, I, I, I want to hear believer. this now. He's let's let's get onto
2: it. Let's get onto no, it. No, no. I I'm still.
0: It. I haven't even covered what I think of the game. Oh god. Um. Oh god. Oh, thanks, Mike. <laughs> so the other one that's really weird, Mike, and you've observed this, and so have I. The game already seems to be out of stock in a bunch yes. of stores. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah,
2: yeah. Now even online, uh, I was struggling to get it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like it was going in and out of stock at Amazon. Now, I'm not sure if they've just like run against the wall on this game. Like, there's massive patches. The reason why they didn't release uh, the review codes is I think, from like even a cyberpunk perspective, they've learned okay, just hold it back. Like, you know, don't give people a broken game just because they want to review it. Um, And even when I've played it, there's like the just to be clear, I haven't played enough of the original games to know is this a bug in the 360 version that's carried over to this game or is this a new bug? because I'm playing it and I'm like whoa man these characters the way they're talking and stuff it I know you know this is going to people are going to come at me for this stupidity but I was like <laughs> I can't even tell that much of versus like Andromeda like some of the characters their eyes are like looking like off center or
1: I've heard I've heard that some of the work they've done on the faces like the lips and stuff yeah actually make it look weirder than the original.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, dude, like so I, like I said, I haven't played enough with the original, but having played the original, it never struck me as, like, odd, you know, the lips moving and everything like that. I love the way that the facial animation was in the original. Yeah, I really wish you guys had played this because I was playing it and I'm like, man, they look like, is this just me? I'm like, am I way too sensitive to this crap now? But their lips look bizarre and the eyes, it's like, sometimes their eyes are, like, looking down and it doesn't make any sense. It's like... They're looking ominous or something. There seems
1: to be like a trend in big remasters. So the same thing happened with the Ezio collection for Assassin's Creed, and they they patched it. So they made like the first run. So a lot of it's also sometimes the lighting, and they try to improve the lighting, but it suddenly like makes everything look really more artificial than it was before. Yeah. Um. So would yeah, I definitely think they'll the game will see patches oh. to improve that stuff
0: and, and I'll say as a person who just jumped into this game it's so awesome I'm like loving it so far like I find that it's going to be so easy to get through the first game like I'm just like balls deep into this game I love it <laughs>
1: balls, <laughs> <Right>? deep. balls <laughs> deep in Mass Effect.
0: Um it's just like ah oh, man it's just really it's just such a fun game I get it I, you know it's just like when I was starting to play Dark Souls I'm like ah oh, okay I get why people love this game and sci-fi, you know, you guys know I'm a huge sci-fi fan. Mm. Like I've watched every episode of Deep Space Nine, The Next Generation, Voyager, like Star Wars. I know so much about, you know, like I'm a huge star, yeah. uh, sci-fi fan. And you know, as as I was saying in the last segment around Elder Scrolls, fantasy just I don't know, just never does it for me. So I don't know why, but sci-fi just like it's like it adds an extra few points out of ten for me. So. You know, I, I, you know, this is an early wild claim, but I, I don't know, man. I reckon this this trilogy, one of these games, could easily hit my top ten. Jeez. Like, already like three to four hours okay. in, I'm like, damn, this is like, you know, and and I think it's also that for me, it's supposedly they fixed the combat or like improved it a lot. Yeah, they have. I actually wow. bounced out of the first game because I played the combat and I'm like, this is so frustrating. This is like, I, I'm clicking in and out of the wall, like it's so freaking annoying. And this game is super annoying as well. It feels very old. Like I was like running up to the wall and I'm like, sometimes the cover would work. Sometimes it won't. It feels very unpredictable of when you can or can't go into cover. You know, I don't know. It just feels very janky and stuff like that. I just got to go to get my head around it and how it works. I'm already getting a bit better at the combat, but yeah, now I'm just like thinking, I don't know how to level up my character and whether I should look at, you know, are pistols good? Assault rifles? What I should do? What, what class
1: did you choose, by the way?
0: What classes were there?
1: <laughs> so, you get like... Uh, I can't remember, but like, are you going biotic? Are you going with purely soldier? Are
0: you going with tech? Oh, yeah, well, sorry, I, I don't know if this answers the question, but I didn't change my character at all from the start. No, the
1: default. What's it's, like, a it's, default probably, class. So it's probably like soldier or something. Yeah, it's a soldier. So it's a soldier. Class, yeah. Oh, man. So the biotic stuff in the Mass Effect games is awesome. Uh, if at some point you can try that out, that'll be cool. Okay, okay.
0: Now, like, I don't know about Mass Effect, but something about it is the character to me is like that's who it is, and I, I called him Juan Shepard, like, <laughs> like that's who it is to me. It's like it just looks like that. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I, I could, I didn't even bother with the character creator because I feel like uh, it doesn't feel like Mass Effect. Oh, I'm the know. same. I
1: like the default male Shepard, yeah.
0: And you know, actually, it's funny. I almost always play as female characters. But the female Juan Shepard, it just it doesn't look right to me. It just doesn't, I don't know, there's something about it that just doesn't click. Like, I, I just don't get it. So, yeah, yeah, no, I'm really, really loving it. Um, yeah, just, you know, looking forward to playing it more, to be honest, pretty simply. I'm, I'm really looking forward to you uh, getting it, Swinny, because, you know, yeah. I think you you have very deep on understanding how the games play, and I know you're very... Not opinionated, but you've got strong views on the combat of the first one and just the RPG elements, so I'd love to get your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it probably in one or two months depending on when the patches hit. So
0: Yeah, and I think by then maybe we should just loop back to it again anyway cuz I would have played through the first one and Mike surely would have played through a few of them, so we could just really give our thoughts on it. Do you want to yeah. go to the final segment?
1: Yeah, so this week I um, we saw the release of the first expansion for Assassin's Creed Valhalla, mm. which is Wrath of the Druids. First of many. First of two
0: confirmed. Oh, um, yeah, you, you heard their commentary on the financial goal. I think they're going to milk the hell out of this game.
1: Yeah, but whether or not that means full expansions or just like your seasonal events like they've been doing is another thing. Okay. Um, there has been some leaked info about um, new areas in related to like the mythological side of the game. Uh, which would be cool, but there's two game, two confirmed expansions. This is the first of them. The second I'll uh, mention at the end. But, yeah, so it came out on Friday, which was the 14th, just to correct you from a previous segment. Um, oh, yeah, I said Thursday, out, I didn't I? Yeah, yeah, you're right. So it's only been two days. Yeah, wow. Um, and I've 100 of this whole no!
0: expansion. <laughs> Okay, can I just say... Yeah, I know it's a different game, but Mass Effect Legendary Edition, you can see the platinums. And the thing that I really liked about it is every hour that went past the ratio of how many people have completed, the trophies was changing just (laughs) as people were playing it, right? Yeah. And I was like, whoa, some people have already platinum Mass Effect 1 on the PS4, PS5. Right. It was yep. like point one percent. I'm like, these maniacs, who are they? And I'm like, Yeah, we're talking to one of them. <laughs> well
1: that's twenty hours. That that's feasible.
0: Twenty no. hours to platinum it, really? I thought it would take longer.
1: Oh, uh, I guess I if mean, you know if what you, you're doing. If you do insanity from the get-go, then probably not. But anyway, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Wrath of the Druids. So this uh this expansion is set in Ireland, uh revolving Ireland. around the Ireland. The story of hiking Flancina and uh revolving around a cult of druids, hence the name. Uh, you can undertake this quest pretty much at any point in Valhalla's main storyline. It's very separate from anything that's going on in the main quest over there. And from a storyline perspective, the scale of of the story, of the narrative, is actually pretty big. Um, and But it does, I will say, play out pretty predictably. Um, there's some fun characters... Overall, I'm pretty happy with the story. Um, the ending is a bit ridiculous, but uh it is what it is. I mean, it's kind of the ending's very Assassin's Creed, so that's kind of fitting. Mm. But that setting, that island, so the map, the map is massive. It's probably the size of two of Valhalla's regions. So this is this is an expansion in terms of size, definitely. Mm. Um, and it's absolutely gorgeous. So you've got rolling hills, cliffs. It's It feels very distinct from England. There's lots of crazy bogs and, you know, where druid hallucinations happen and stuff. Um, So it's absolutely gorgeous. And the fact that I've got a nice new TV and I'm able to see this game in HDR and everything, it's just, it's really, really great. Um, In terms of content, um, so that's some interesting new stuff. So they've added trade outposts that you capture and those produce materials. And then you use those materials to complete trade missions and increase the Dublin's renown. So Dublin's like your headquarters in the game. Um, and as you increase renown, you get extra, you know, cool goodies and stuff like that. Uh, there's what they call Trial of the Morrigan, which is like little combat challenges against those crazy druids and werewolves and like hallucinations and stuff. Um, it's really interesting. With that, is that I have a certain play style in combat encounters where the first thing I'll do is explode this massive jar of poison and poison all the enemies. And it's like I use that. That's like my go-to. Yeah, you're always playing
0: in like such a sneaky way. Well, in all this, these uh, games. It's always this like is, it's a very underhanded way.
1: Yeah, so this is, yeah. this that's my, like, my all go. Fair.
0: All is fair. Yeah. True.
1: That's like my go to to open up combat counters, but these druids are impervious to poison in this game. So ah. I actually had to, I actually uh. had to play differently, which was we'll actually. Be looking pretty at the data cool. for you. <laughs> it was pretty cool. It's like everyone's abusing the poison in this game. Mm. So let's make these enemies immune to it. Um, so they added royal demands. So these are missions you pick up from, like, pigeon coops that. Have optional objectives that uh, like don't get seen, don't get hit, only kill the um, specified target, and this is really, really awesome. This is what I think of people are going to love because it's very. It brings it more to the core of Assassin's Creed, especially the older games when you had the hundred percent synchronization optional objectives, Um, and it's just yeah. it didn't change the way I really play because I still play stealthily in these games. Whereas a lot of people in these newer games have moved to running and just killing everyone, just murdering. Uh, if you want the extra goodies that come from those objectives, then you have to actually, you know, like play stealthily in that. Hmm. Um, and it's it includes a whole other set of assassination t- assassination targets. So for anyone that's played the last couple of games, like the Order of Ancients, where it gives you a web of people that you need to go hunt for clues follow hints and then track people down and and you know if you kill one person that might give you clue for another person and they're part of that druid sect called um, or cult called the children of danu so they're tied into the main storyline as well as that those the, some of those optional those people are optional but if you kill though, if you take out the whole web of of the targets you get an absolutely awesome reward um i i definitely do it like because you don't have to do it to complete the the actual storyline but oh my god like i I wish i could talk about it but it would spoil it so Mm. Um, tell us offline i want to hear you you get lots of you get lots of new gear uh weapons they added like sickle so you can double hand sickle Mm. um double wield i should say you can ride a giant thick lynx in this game (laughs) and this thing is thick like you look at it behind that's a good show title (laughs) It's, and and I'm so glad that they made it so I can ride something other than the stupid horse. It plays the exact same. The icon on the stamina still has a little picture of a horse, but you're riding this giant thick links. It's awesome. Um, and they also brought some of the canstone stone puzzles, the standing stone puzzles back, but they're all easy in this one. I, I enjoy them. Mm. So the other thing, so I just want to mention, so while it's not technically part of this DLC. Uh, Some of the recent updates I hadn't got to yet, so I just wanted to give some thoughts around that. So they had a whole bunch of new abilities, which are actually pretty good. So I made a bit of a joke when we talked about them in our transmogrification segment Mm. uh, a little while back that it doesn't make sense to automatically loot enemies you kill from afar, but... It's actually pretty smart. They make it so your eagle automatically goes and Ah, picks up the stuff. So it's like, oh man, they actually do it really cool.
0: You know, there's some prick who's in like a a boardroom and they're all like on the whiteboard. How the fuck are we going to do this for these (laughs) pricks out there like Swinny? They've probably just got your image. Fuck him with a poison. Got to make these fucking pricks impervious to poison. Oh, Uh, fuck. He's going to ask us. He's going to put us in his review. He's played every fucking one of these games, the prick. uh, And...
1: (laughs) To about the trans, transmogrification, you know, when that stuff came out, they're like, "Oh, it costs fifty silver to do this." Man, now that I've gone back and kind of realised, like, because it been, I hadn't been, it been a little while since I played Valhalla At that point, I couldn't Ooh. remember exactly how much silver you got all the time. Man, it's nothing. Like I've, I had like <laughs> twenty thousand. No, it's it's just the main currency <laughs> in the game. Uh, yeah, like it's it's cost nothing. Like it was so, such an overblown oh, thing. Wow. <laughs> it was really nothing. Like I'm like, oh my god, I I even mentioned that. Oh, they should have done better with this. It's like it's absolutely nothing in the game. Okay. Mm. Um. So yeah, just look. Overall, honestly, this is actually one of the best DLCs they've ever put out. Um, wow. Okay. It, Be cool. Yeah. It's it's just man, the amount of content, the size. it's just really really cool. It is very expensive. It's about thirty eight dollars if you just buy it by itself. Um but you are getting about a 15 to 20 hour experience out of it. So you're getting almost the experience of a whole full retail game in terms of the length of it. Now I know length isn't always the way you judge performance. Yes
0: but- it is. Well, yes it is. <laughs> in my case it is.
1: But um it's look, honestly. I like thereof. If if you want a more Valhalla, like if you want a more Valhalla, you'll love it, you know. Um there's, I just think, yeah, I do think the Fate of Atlantis DLC's for Odyssey probably just above this in terms of just like Oh, Superman you had
0: to bring stuff. Odyssey back in. You have to bring in the negativity. The negative, the negative comments are time. gonna come. So, but, so wait, wait So can we map this out? So Valhalla, that's like a like seventy dollar, eighty dollar game in Australia, yeah? Well, I mean it was a hundred when it came out, so yeah, but you like, can get it pretty easily for like eighty. Yeah, but I like to
1: right? j- judge things based on what the actual cost was when I purchased it. You paid it for hundred bucks. It r- was
0: more than hundred dollars well. because
1: I got season pass with it. So
0: yeah, no, but that's what I want to break down. So season pass will include this and then the next expansion.
1: <laughs> yeah, the next expansion is the Sea to Paris, and I can't remember when that's due. I think it is still due for this year. So
0: okay, okay, interesting. Yep, and so that's like sixty Australian dollars. This the Druids is like thirty eight ish. So probably, you know, if you're into the expansions, it makes sense to buy the season pass. Would you say?
1: Oh, 100 yeah. percent, easily, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Ubisoft, so just- Ubisoft would be so happy with you, by the way.
1: <laughs> so this, uh, yeah, look, really, really, a lot of fun. Uh, as I said, I hundred percented it. Um, it was, it was a bit of a ride. I so I started playing it a Friday evening and uh, finished it at like midnight last night. Um, it was like sixteen hours. So
0: yeah, I don't know if you heard that, Mike. Mm-hmm. Like, because I think you were off the show at the time, yeah. but yeah, he's he's got this this DLC, and he's already beaten it one hundred percent. Jeez, <laughs> so
1: it's it's good. What's interesting, they've actually added they've added these two uh, achievements that you cannot get yet. Um, so it's a, kind of annoying, but they've actually changed. It. So it's they're revolving around these mastery challenges that are coming in a separate free update. Yeah, but the deal, achievements are tied to this DLC pack. So I am like. Does that mean you have to buy the DLC pack to be able to get the? It's really, really odd. But, but They said
0: free update, right?
1: It's free update, but the generally you only get access to the achievements of a DLC pack if you own the DLC. So, oh, yeah, okay. it's really okay. weird because okay. they, they update and change it to upcoming achievement. Oh. Like, that's what it's called. It was called something else and they changed it. So some people are annoyed because they can't complete the DLC yet, but it's like, whatever, <laughs> so, it'll come down the line. All how down line. OCD
0: people are in the yeah. achievement space, the Chivo space. Anyway
1: to it. if you love Valhalla, you'll love this.
0: Now now, you know that I'm a huge uh Game of the Year edition buyer. So I wait until you get a collected version, all the DLC included, rah rah rah. Do they do this with uh with Assassin's Creed games?
1: They do yeah. it up front. What they, do you mean? So they don't wait anymore. You buy the like Special version that's got it all included. Like oh I, yeah, but I want it for. Cheap. So they'll just I go want it special. I want it well, well, get that yeah. version on special later. Yeah. But oh, then they okay. they put that stuff on special. Like yeah. now, I know you obviously want physical stuff, but generally a lot of that stuff goes on sale
0: uh, digitally. A lot oh, of those
1: okay. packs are only digital. Because I've
0: been looking to pick up Odyssey as a bit of a joke and meme, um, but I can't find a version that's got everything included. So yeah, maybe I'll hit you up, Swinney.
1: I mean, there's there's plenty. Of, oh yeah, they're all digital. That's why. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I don't
0: like digital. So okay, cool. All right. Thanks for that, Sweeney. So big recommend for you if you liked Valhalla and you want more worthwhile getting. Yep. Thanks. Beautiful. Buddy. Beautiful. All right. Let's wrap up the show just in time for Mike to run away from us. Terrible, terrible effort, Mike. Uh, next week, we don't have anything scheduled, but I will be reviewing Press Reset, the new Jason Schreier book. Uh, and then anything else in the bike, Swinney, that you're aware of?
1: Uh, not at the moment. I'll probably just play Cyberpunk, honestly.
0: Yeah. I think, like, so we do have that new segment. Uh, that's a sexy pitch. I think, like, we might need to uh, exercise that segment and, and actually use it uh, because E3 is coming up mm-hmm. and I feel like some of our ideas <laughs> might be taken in E3, oh, so we better get okay. in front of it. Uh, do you just, want
2: to pencil in it in for next week?
0: Well, I'm happy to do. I'm happy to go with mine oh, or Flamingo with notebook. your Swinney. If you yeah. have yours ready.
1: I was going to put it in there and then I decide I'm not an egotistic bastard. I'll ask you guys first. No, put, it okay. in. put it in. <laughs> All right, so
0: Swinney is going to kick off. That's a sexy pitch. The idea of the segment is that we give a realistic pitch for a new game or a continuation of the series and what the game would shape up to be. So Swinney is doing the first one. I guess you will reveal it at the time.
1: Yes. I and of if course. you have any
0: concept art or anything like that, Swinny, uh let me know and I can put it on the screen in the video version. We'll right. do. <laughs> with 3D models or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> with that, bye bye. Later. <laughs>